Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, season hunters. Just a couple of quick notes before we get the episode started. First of all, apologies. Um, episodes haven't been coming out as regular as we'd like recently. Hence why today is sort of a double episode in a way, which we'll uh, see all about in a moment. Um, but also just want to point out that when we get to our spoiler deep dive discussion section, we've had a new audio set up. Some things haven't been going exactly as planned. We lost Damascus audio for that bit that she was recording at her end, um, but we do have, we're using a recording um, through our Skype chat that I was recording at my end. Um, so she's still very much, you can hear her and understand what she's saying. The audio quality is not that bad, but it's not as good as our usual standard. So apologies for that big chunk in the middle um, of this episode where Damascus audio isn't as good as it would otherwise be in a normal episode. Hopefully those kinks are going to be figured out by the next episode. Also, there's a bit of an echo. Um, I think you can hear my voice echoing through Damascus side. Again, audio Technical stuff, we're going to get fixed by next episode, hopefully. Um, But otherwise, we think it's a pretty good episode, so enjoy. Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive, and break down a season of television each and every week. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing season one and two of Bojack Horseman. This is a little bit of a break in format. We've kind of taken two weeks to do this, so we're not really um, sort of betraying our premise by saying we're doing one episode. You're just getting two episodes discussed in a two week Single episode. In a fortnight. So, You're welcome. In a fortnight. So this works. <laughs> We're not cheating at all. Definitely no. not. No. How are you, Damask? I'm really good. That's good to hear. Yeah, I've started taking anti-anxiety meds, so I'm great. Well, that I'm makes fabulous. a difference. <laughs> uh, amazingly enough, it truly does. I'm yes. actually really glad to hear that. That's awesome. Good for yeah. you. Thank um, you. How are you? I'm pretty good. I have a sick kitty at the moment, which makes me a bit sad. Oh, he had I'm to sorry. stay in the vet overnight, and so he's... um. Mate, it was like it was weird how like you just get used to your animals being around. So like mm. walked in the door, expected to see him either meowing for food on his little countertop over here or just at the door yeah. or whatever, and not there, and just constantly like expecting him. And even the weird thing was, I was able to close the door to our bedroom last night, which we can never do completely because mm-hmm. you have to allow him to be able to move out to his litter box and stuff during the oh, night. I, I know that. I know. You know that. that. You can't ever <laughs> close the door 100%. Yeah. Um, and so even that was strange, just being able to like close the door. I was like, this doesn't feel right. Mm. So... A bit yeah. sad. Hopefully going to hear some good news soon. In the meantime, though, we have a podcast. The show must go on. Right. Let's get into Off Topic Hot Topic. Off Topic Hot Topic. 
That's whatever you were talking about for you. Off Topic Hot Topic is the part of the show where we get to talk about things that aren't the uh, season or two seasons as it is this se- this uh, episode of television that we're planning to review and deep dive on. Um, if you would like to contribute a topic or a story to Off Topic Hot, to- Hot Topic, you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweeting us at, at huntingscast. Now, let's get into some headlines. No Brian Fuller watch this week, although I did find an article this week of someone else basically just going, what the fuck is up with Brian Fuller? (laughs) (laughs) Like, why does he keep leaving shows? Something's wrong with the guy. Um, But we don't need to talk about that. We've done that every week for the last (laughs) year and a bit. Uh, So, some headlines. There's a couple of big ones this week. Let's Mm. actually, let's start with the, the less sort of, controversial, visceral, my emotions are going to get in the way one. Although this might do it too. Mm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, inclusive reboot in the works with Joss Whedon. Mm -hmm. So, I'll read this article. This one um, comes Because I've seen the headlines and you sent the headlines to me. I haven't clicked on an article because I'm so afraid. So, this is the first time I'm really hearing this information. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I want an authentic reaction for the people. So this is oh wow okay very interesting. So this is I'm reading this from the Hollywood Reporter. This is from Leslie Goldberg. I'm just going to read a couple of paragraphs here that sort of sum things up. 20th Century Fox Television, who produced the original Joss Whedon drama, has offered a new take on the beloved Sarah Michelle Gellar drama in development. Uh, that yeah that almost makes sense. But anyway, writer Monica Os. Oh, sorry, Owusu Breen, Monica Owusu Breen, who worked with Whedon on ABC's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., has been hired to pen the adaptation and serve as showrunner on the reboot. Whedon will be an executive producer on the series and, pardon me, has been working with Owusu Breen on the script, which features a black actress stepping into the role of Buffy made famous by Geller. Casting for the central role of Buffy has also not yet been determined. The new version, sources say, will be contemporary and build on the mythology of the original. Like today's world, the new Buffy will be richly diverse with some aspects of the series, like the flagship, uh, like the flagship seen as metaphors for issues currently facing society. For her part, Awusu Breen recently created and show ran NBC's Midnight Texas... Uh, she left the series after season one. Her credits also include Revolution, Fringe, Brothers and Sisters, Alias, Lost and Charmed. She is repped by WME. Don't know why I put that last bit in there, but anyway. <laughs> um, so, what's your initial thoughts on this? Initial reactions? Wow. Okay. This? All right. Um, I don't... Okay, so the concept of recasting Buffy as a black actress doesn't bother me, whatever. Just the concept of recasting Buffy (laughs) bothers me. I kind of was hoping that it might be a Slayer show Mm -hmm. Um, because as we see in the final season of Buffy, spoilers, but fuck you if you haven't watched it already, it revolutionised television, so what the fuck are you doing with your life? Um, there are a bunch of Slayers around through over, all over the world um, and they continue that in the comics. Um, so I thought maybe it might just be about a Slayer. Um, uh, but a part of me was like, oh, maybe they are going to have the cast come back and be older, but that's clearly not what's happening. How do I feel about it? How do I feel? I feel very nervous. Um, Buffy is an important show, not only personally, but I think in the art form of television, I think we can thank Buffy for a lot of what we enjoy about 
uh, modern day television. It changed so much. So to reboot that, yeah, interesting. Would you reboot The Sopranos? I'm not sure that you would. Um, I don't. I I, don't, I hear what you're saying about the Sopranos thing. I don't know. Like, I love Buffy. Love, 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 love Buffy. Buffy, all my one of my all time favorite television shows. Watched it more times than I can remember. But the maybe not maybe not as many times as you. I don't think though. But the the uh, there's something about this, the Sopranos and the type of show that it is, even though someone who hasn't really watched The Sopranos, if, if I'm being honest, <laughs> that, and like what Buffy is, Buffy's very pulpy, it's very, you know, it fits in an era of that 90s, like the same vibe as like Charmed and stuff like that, that supernatural comedy slash drama thing it's got going for mm. it. Love it to bits, but I don't, I think it's easy to maybe reboot that, take that general vibe and turn into the next fun teen show. Like, yeah. like reboot it in a similar way to the, the way that they keep reboot. This sounds stupid. But like rebooting <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Make a new one for a new generation. You know what I mean? And keep yeah. that thing alive. And honestly, again, not saying that Buffy and TMNT are the same thing. But it's surprising how good the reboots of TMNT have been along the way. Like, I remember the originals as a kid and loving them. The kids that got the latest one that Nickelodeon did is a million times better than the shit we got back in the day. Right. Mm. Okay, that's not the same. I, that Buffy and yeah. are not the same. But I'm saying it's not. Yeah. I think it's easy to do. I uh, yeah no. I agree that um, looking from the outside, I think that people would lump a show like Charmed and Buffy together. I think mm. they look similar. They came out at similar times. They're teen shows with a lot of mythological and supernatural um, elements in it. But I think if you, I mean, you simply just look at the amount of analysis, <laughs> um, you know. No one started university, charmed like university course. Yeah, analysis <laughs> courses. I mean, you go to any, you know, film studies course in the fucking world and learn about Buffy and how important it is. It was and is, I think, to television. That's why I'm comparing it to something like The Sopranos in which it has set such a high bar, a high standard because we have – and in, in lots of different ways, we have a high standard just in the simple fact that people love these characters, people um, love the stories that were told in its original run – but also, just from an academic level, just from a a, a culture changing level, an industry changing level, like that is a high bar to reach, and it makes me just like, it, I feel nervous for the people having to um, dip their toe back into that pool. Like that is scary. I also want to say that, and I think this is important to say, particularly in the way that people are engaging in conversations about reboots now um, and properties that are important to them, I don't think that them doing this reboot, if it doesn't work, if it's not something that I particularly like, it in no way affects um, the Buffy that I love, the the seasons that I, you know, covet, the, the characters that I adore and feel attached to. This re reboot doesn't change that. It doesn't retroactively go back and make that worse or ruin anything for me. That will always exist. 
can this new thing possibly be fantastic and create a new generation of people that were that can be just as empowered, feel just as moved by the new one as I was by the old. Fuck, I hope so. That's what I'm sure that's what they're aiming for and I hope that they that they can achieve that. Um so I'm hoping that it's really really good. I think it's an almost impossible task to um, recreate the magic of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the original series. Um, I, I wish them the best, but I am very nervous for them. It's um, yeah. When you talk about its legacy, it's funny because I don't think in the mo- I definitely in the moment I didn't realize, but I don't think nearly that many people necessarily realised in the moment as Buffy was coming out just how much of a legacy it was going to have. Mm, Its pop culture legacy has grown over time when you talk about the way that it's affected television going forward or the way that it's discussed in like universities or just in general how much people adore it. Its status and legacy has grown over time. And so the expectations around this show are sky high, unfairly to some degree probably, but it's just the point, it's just the truth of it. It's going to. I don't have think unfairly at all. I think Buffy um, is this thing that is revered, and I think and appreciated, and should be. And they have chosen to revisit that. The bar is high, um, but I don't think it's unfair to be high. I think if you're going I think to revisit Buffy is the material, different things to different people though. I think there's probably a level of Buffy fans who like Buffy on one level, but don't engage with it on the same level that we do. Who yeah, don't revere mm-hmm. it like that? Like to those people, yeah. it, it might be just exciting to be getting Buffy back. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, yeah. And to people who have never watched it, they don't give a shit anyway. Uh, yeah. This is to for the generation of you know well, this has been twenty years since this show first aired. I'm not old. You're yeah. old. The, Shut up. <laughs> this is going to be brand new for a lot of people. Like, Which excites me. Like, that that prospect really excites me. Because I've always been like, oh, I can't wait to show my kids Buffy. Mm. But by the time I have kids, they're going to be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, the graphics are just, I mean, beyond dated and stuff. But So, yeah, I'm excited for the next gen having something. It's interesting what you're talking about, like, that reaction, that visceral reaction to it. Because we have talked before about the idea of a Buffy reboot. It's, it's Fox mm. have talked about it not numerous times. Because it's it's one of those properties that seems with like um, uh, Will and Grace and Roseanne and Charm just recently get, getting a re- reboot that's coming out pretty soon and fucking Frasier apparently is going to possibly have a reboot as well. Like this keeps happening. <laughs> the one right. we've all been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like Buffy was an obvious choice to get something mm-hmm. like this as well, and so it comes yeah. up a lot. And neither of us want that or wanted that. I am surprised I didn't have a more visceral reaction. I'm glad to say I didn't because I agree. I don't want this to be a fucking Star Wars episode Mm. seven or even like a Ghostbusters like situation. I'm with you. If this show is no good, I just ignore it. Right. It's just, I don't have to care about it. I can just go and watch Mm. the original series and love it because I do. And it's not going to affect that. But I did think I might have more of this reaction and I'm, in a way, I'm kind of interested. Like, okay, I cool. am. I'm hopeful that it might be good. The fact that mm. Joss is involved is a good start. If it didn't have Joss involved, I'd be really upset. But oh yeah, I my reaction would be very different if that was the case. But him being there helps. It's an executive producer role. He's not showrunner. He's doing mm-hmm. the Nevers on HBO instead, and I'm fine with that. I think that if it's going to yeah. be, I think maybe new voices and letting. 
uh, female voices in particular take over is probably a very smart move for him to Agreed. like if to let this feminist icon be controlled by you know be told from a female perspective more purely I think it's a very smart idea I hope some of the other people like Marty Noxon and like Jane Espenson and stuff like that get involved as well like if you can just let I would someone, love that fuck I want to see them come like just let like they've got so many great they're, mm. A, they're just extremely talented and accomplished writers, but let them get involved with this too, I hope, yeah. to some degree. If they, like, came in and just as, like, almost like a, a mentor role for, like, the next gen of, like, female writers that are coming to work on this show. Like, totally. I'll be honest, that's fucking beautiful to me. Um, <laughs> that would make me really happy. Uh, I love both of those women. Um, you know, they've gone off to do projects that I didn't particularly love, um, but I adore their work in Buffy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm. I don't know. I'm cautiously optimistic about the whole thing. I think yeah. I'm excited and mm. I'm terrified all at the same time. Yeah. the The thing that's really confusing though is that this report I've just given you states pretty clearly that we're pretty sure that this is going to be a remake in the sense that this is Buffy and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That message elsewhere is not as clear to the point where last night, <clears throat> as I was going to bed. A tweet went up from the new showrunner. So, this is um, uh, just her name, uh, Awuso Breen. She mm-hmm. wrote, For some genre writers, it's Star Wars. Buffy the Vampire Slayer is my Star Wars. Before I became a writer, I was a fan. For seven seasons, I watched Buffy Summers grow up. Find love, kill that love. I watched her fight and struggle and slay. There is only one Buffy, and she underlines one. One Xander, one Willow, Giles, Cordelia, Oz, Tara, Kendra, Faith, Spike, Angel. I'm surprised she put Kendra in there. I'm not sure she should be in that list. Anyway. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> they can't be replaced. Joss Whedon's brilliant and beautiful series can't be replicated. I wouldn't try to. But here we are, 20 years later, and the world seems a lot scarier. So maybe it could be time to meet a new Slayer. And that's all I can say. So, that's interesting because it suggests that perhaps this new Buffy isn't a new Buffy, this new Buffy is a new Slayer, and that maybe this exists, because a lot of people have talked about, the other term that keeps coming up, is this going to be an extension on the mythology? It's going to build on the mythology of Buffy? Mm. So, let's not pretend for a second that completely rules out that this is going to be a character Buffy, right? Maybe it is. But it also suggests that this might be something that takes place... Uh, it's a reboot in the sense that it takes place after the events of the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer series, or is still a reboot, but she is a slayer and Buffy is maybe considered a different mythical character in that series in some way, that she is not Buffy, but Buffy existed in that world to some degree, if that makes sense. So this is a new slayer with a different name and a different identity world. And I personally think that's the way to go. <laughs> like, yeah, me too. Continue the mythology of the Slayerverse because fucking hell, it's great. It's so interesting. If you've never read the Faith comic book series, get go fucking read Faith. Faith is all right. I'll go. It's no, sorry, not Faith. Frey. Sorry, no, not Faith. Faith was uh, Elijah Dew's character. Frey. Yeah. The Frey comic book graphic novel is excellent and a great way to expand okay. on the ideas of the Buffy Slayerverse mythos. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is room to have that sort of stuff, and I certainly would like that because I'd like to, I'd like to see. I don't know. I think that's. I I personally prefer that if it's possible. Yeah. It also just give the this generation their own Slayer. They don't need Buffy. Have it be mm-hmm. somebody else. Anyway, what do you think? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I also just wanted to say, because I know that you have come up against quite a bit of disillusionment and um, upset about what has been happening in the Star Wars fandom, about um, reactions and people taking over those spaces in a way that you don't think is, and I agree with you, um, productive or healthy or respectful. Um, and I think... We, I certainly have learnt from watching the engagement of others in how to react to things like this. And I think it's important in these nerd spaces that people like you and I, people who have deep, deep love for things, to continue to engage in these conversations in a really respectful, well-balanced way. And I know you have wanted to kind of like distance yourself from fandoms. I don't want to take that approach. I think engaging with the the thing you love in a way that you think it should be engaged with. And I think by example, that's how you change the culture. And I, and I, I, like I said, I think we've learned and I think um, a lot of people are learning what behaviour they find acceptable and not acceptable. This, is, I think, is how you have the conversation about this stuff. I don't think there's any need to get angry about things. And when we've spoken before about um, people who get very angry about changes to the thing they love because that thing – they centre their identity around the thing that they love. I have centred for a long time, I think, um, a, myself around my love of Buffy. For years I did that. It was very important to me and I was very passionate about it and got into like plenty of arguments <laughs> about Buffy. But I think as you hopefully get older and a bit more mature and you – you consume media with a bit more intelligence that what I have done is you take what is important in those stories, the ideals, the empathy you develop through story um, and you utilise that in your identity, in your life. It's not the, the thing, it's the message that gives it value to you. Yeah, sorry, that's just all I wanted to say about that. I mean, you're 100% right. I don't know. My concern gets with, you know, the, one of the things I fear probably the most from a Buffy reboot even is that if it got wildly popular, like the, fir- the, the original series was not wildly popular in the sense that mm. it didn't take over the world. It was popular, sure, but it, it's, it, you know, it got cancelled at season five and was brought back on a different network in season six and just made, limped mm. its way to season seven sort of thing. Like I, it, think, I think it was like huge for a while, uh, like huge, huge. It was everywhere. And then it kind of dissipated and like some of us stuck with it, but a lot of people just kind of didn't, it, I guess. It just like existed it was, at a time when that fandom didn't have we the community. All online it has, and, like it does yeah. now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so... Mm. Something I am kind of worried about is if there is, with this reboot, if it ever gets big, the problem I find with fandom is that the bigger it gets, the more assholes that are in it just by sheer number, and then the more assholes are in it to talk to each other and become act like fucking assholes. And that, I don't know. 
I don't know. I just this is my problem with fandom. It's less to do with the idea of being a fan of something. It's more that the bigger these things get, the more ownership they that groups of people feel for this thing, and then that's when it gets problematic. It's like Buffy mm-hmm. has existed for twenty years as sort of this secret light of like thing that people who are enthusiastic about television mm-hmm. and writing love, and it's been great because we've just got to enjoy it as it mm-hmm. was. And this is not me saying that I don't want more people to be fans of Buffy. I do. I want more people to know all about Buffy and enjoy it too. But in this day and age with fandom, the bigger something gets and the more people that like it, the more problematic that stuff gets. It's just a it's just it's that line I, from yeah. it's that line from um Men in Black. It's like uh, a person is smart, people are dumb, panicky, stupid gullible or whatever mm. you know and it's like as soon as you get people together in a group there's a mob mentality it just it fucking and the internet has made that untenable in so many situations now it's exhausting uh, yeah over it. I, I i understand what you're what you're saying and i don't necessarily disagree with you but i think we are growing up in a time where there is so much access to film and television and yet the education of people about how to consume things um, is very lacking. How to engage in intelligent conversations about why something is important to you, why something reached you, why something spoke to you. And without that education, people really genuinely do not know how to engage in an intelligent and articulate way. I think that's why I think it's so important for people like us, film and television critics, people on Twitter who have a greater understanding of these things to show an example of intelligent, well-reasoned, calm, respectful conversations until, you know, our education system catches up and actually teaches people how how to engage in that way. But I, I agree, like, mob mentality is a thing. There are ass- there are lots and lots of assholes out there. But it doesn't detract from the importance of being a good example and, you know, and, and it shouldn't diminish your want to spread your excitement for something. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'm exhausted by it. I just, that's the thing. I just, I and just, you're, I you're cannot totally be allowed to bothered be. with it anymore. The, yeah. it's, the internet has become such a putrid place of negativity. Let's go, for example, to our next news story as an example of this, for instance, <laughs> okay. and how the internet is being weaponized uh, just against, against good people or against good ideas and properties and stuff for no reason other than to be awful. James Mm -hmm. Gunn fired from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 after resurfaced tweets. Yeah. This is the headline. Mm -hmm. The crux of the story, before James Gunn was director of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 with Marvel and Disney, he was making different sorts of movies, Slither and Super, and he was um, a a different artist. He was more into shock humor and trying to get a reaction and attention that way. His tweets at the time from 2008 till about 2010 or sorry, 2010 or 11 reflect that in him. Mm-hmm. It is a style of humor that I personally don't find particularly funny that I found more and more problematic as time's gone on with artists or comedians like Ricky Gervais and even South Park and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. That was from a different time though. And since 
being that person and, and making those sorts of jokes and, and getting that sort of attention, he's moved on to make Guardians and has, by all evidence that I can find, has been a beacon of hope and self-improvement and positivity. He's um, Selma Blair's come out recently and like talked about how he helped her to um, go public with some of her accusations of her um, uh, sexual abuses, abuses that with yep. inside Hollywood and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And for as for a long period of time now, several years, he seems to be a quite reformed person. Some fuck knuckles from the alt right of politics in the US, Mike Chernovich. Great in use of that term, by the way. Thank you. Great use of that term. Decided to go back through his old tweets and brought to attention and make a um, uh, a controversy, a controversy around some pretty awful jokes that he wrote back in the day that involved pedophilia and rape and even some like anti-trans slurs and stuff like this mm-hmm. that and bring it to the forefront and basically started an uh, online campaign to get Disney to fire James Gunn and Disney did it. They fired him from um, Guns of the Galaxy Volume 3 and from Marvel in general because he was involved in sort of developing the cosmic side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, I want to say this first up. Obviously, this... I am a big fan of what James Gunn has done with Guns of the Galaxy. They're honestly... Guardians 1 in particular is my favourite Marvel's film. I love that side of things. I really like what I've seen of James Gunn as an artist in these most recent years being a part of Marvel. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, I'm disappointed that he's been taken off Guardians because I want to see what he does with Guardians 3. I think he's a really important part there. But this goes beyond that. The bit that's scary about this is that these tweets, awful tweets, and I'm not defending them at all, these things he said back in the day, are, while they're gross and tasteless, were jokes. They weren't funny, but they weren't harmful. They don't reflect him. They don't suggest that he is a pedophile or anything like that. But more importantly, James Gunn had reconciled and apologized for those jokes previously. Um, mm-hmm. In like 2012, mm-hmm. he this was a known part of who he was. When Disney hired him for the Guardians, it was a big deal because he was a guy who was making Sli- Slither and Super, you know, these problematic comedies. Um, and it, what the, people understood this about him. Disney must have known this about him. So for people to start a bad faith campaign against James Gunn, James Gunn and for Disney to fire him because of it is super fucking scary and it's a slippery slope and there's so much mm. wrong with this whole scenario that people have been able to weaponize people's mistakes from the past they've already reconciled and apologized for and then get people fired because of it is mm-hmm. such a terrible decision from Disney and I find the yeah. whole thing super frustrating and scary and awful. That's that's the real crux of this issue is that um, the ter- like we like you said the the jokes are barely jokes they're gross they're awful um, <clears throat> they were acknowledged they were apologised for and the behaviour like visibly was changed which is the important thing after an apology is then to change the behaviour, which we have seen. Which one would think that that ends the issue? Um, so that's the important thing to remember here is that the behaviour was recognised, apologised for, 
and the behaviour was changed. So then another issue, because I watched um, Movie Bob's video I'm glad you brought this, this up because this is excellent. Which was Everyone should great. watch this. Everyone Movie, should watch it. Bob We Trust, should Disney rehire James Gunn? Mm. Go and watch it. It is a 24-minute video that <laughs> is an amazing summation of this entire thing. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and he says, when we're talking about the Guardians of the Galaxy, which is a film about, you know, an immature asshole dude who runs around doing whatever he wants, it's a redemption story. Um, it's a it's about growing and changing and learning. <laughs> and for Disney to then fire a guy who is like a real representation of mm-hmm. of that of that value in that movie um it like he says it movie bob says in the video it seems incredibly hypocritical it's like well what values do you then stand for you seem to be like well you can't tarnish the name of disney the name of disney is very important um but so many of your stories are about redemption they're about you know, becoming a better version of yourself, which James Gunn has done. So, what, like, what is he being punished for? Is the question that this is exactly it. This is the this is the what is Disney about? It's so disingenuous of Disney to be making money off selling stories about people being able to better themselves and then punish someone for their sins of the past that they have already. I feel like have atoned for, apologized for, mm. moved on for, grown from, and then punish him for that behavior, which they must have known about because bad faith right-wing trolls were able to turn this into a trending topic on Twitter. Mm. It's such a fucking... It's like... And the, and again, the problem becomes here, this becomes... A, it's these are rules that the, the right side of politics don't abide by anyway. This whole idea of civility that the left is supposed to have comes from the same people who keep talking about how the world has gone PC crazy. It comes, it's disingenuous. They are weaponizing our moral values against us to try and weaken us um, from the inside out. And it's fucking terrible. And then Disney, I mean, what happens to like Sarah Silverman, who's made similar jokes in the past like this? Is she now going to be kicked off Wreck-It Ralph 2? What happens to Patton Oswalt? What happens to Ricky Gervais? Ricky Gervais, now, honestly, I think his behavior recently has been pretty terrible, so that's a different story anyway. Current day behavior, similar to Roseanne. A lot of people look at this thing with James Gunn and look at the Roseanne situation. It's like, well, Roseanne got fired from ABC because of um, her tweets. Yeah, because she was doing that now in the current day while she was still <laughs> making fucking Roseanne. She wasn't apolog- The behaviour continued, which is the issue. The, the behaviour is, behavior. is ongoing, whereas Guns was from a different era and he has changed over the last decade. Um, mm. The And and like it, South Park, for instance, it's like this is... I'm not saying that Disney and South Park are doing the same thing, but they have been making... This sort of humor has been around for a while to pretend that this is so sick and awful that this person needs to be fired when this is humor that's been like, I don't say it's good. I'm just saying it exists in our culture and to suddenly be, throw your arms up in the air about it is just so disingenuous and awful. The yeah. um, re- What happened after this is when James got, got fired, all of a sudden four channers and Mike Chernovich and all these people started going after other people. Pat Knowles, Walt, Sarah Silverman, as I mentioned, Dan Harmon was the other one. So, Dan Harmon, who 
is a problematic human being, has made many mm-hmm. mistakes, is also one of the most upfront, open book people, celebrities I've ever known in terms of trying to deal with their weaknesses on going and better themselves. There was Oh yeah, he'll be the first one to tell you that he's problematic. He's like, oh, I've got some shit in my brain. And that yeah. he is trying to improve himself. So last year, I think it was, or early in the year, um, we found out that Megan Gantz, who was one of the rise on community, had mm. had a really hard time with him. Basically abuse within the workplace that came mm-hmm. from Dan Harmon. And she had a problem for a while. She never really talked about it at great length, but there was this implication this had happened. And then out of nowhere, seemingly, he brought this up on the podcast, Harmon Townley does, and gave mm. one of the best versions of an apology that I've oh, ever seen so from good. anyone. In terms of so good. acknowledging not just that he'd stuffed up, but how badly he'd made mistakes, mm-hmm. why they were mistakes, mm-hmm. why it was bad behavior. Um not trying to excuse it, but just no. just acknowledge that he did it yeah. and acknowledge why it was so bad for her. Yeah, that's that's the big thing. Is like why that would be awful for someone in her position. Like he, you could, he had clearly learned to empathize with the situation and see, yeah, the harm he had caused. Yeah, and in a rare case where she actually got it, seemingly some amount of closure from this apology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was really, really happy to have had this acknowledged in this apology. And it's one of the best examples I've ever seen. And so, what's happened is a tweet that a, a video, that as far as I can tell, has been deleted, but someone was able to resurface of a really gross, crude uh, sort of skit they did back on Channel 101 days, well before community and stuff like that. Of Dan Harmon, I think, if I understand rightly, it was meant to be like a satire on Dexter. Um, it was like this idea of like somehow going back in time and like changing the past, but involved a, a, a scene of him climbing in a window. This is really low quality. It's like filmed on like a old DV camera or something like that. Climbing in a window and then um, basically raping a baby doll. It's gross and not funny, right? It's not mm. funny. But it comes from a time when this doesn't reflect who he is now. He obviously apologized for it and he was driven off Twitter. Luckily, Adult Swim are a little bit better than Disney when it comes to this and mm-hmm. came to his uh, support and said, listen, we think this is gross and disgusting as well, but it also doesn't reflect who Dan Harmon is now. And yeah. to go trudging through his past and bring this up again is is ridiculous. And we're it's not going... Dumb. Yeah. And we, <laughs> adult, and again, Adult Humor is in a position where they, they do push the boundaries of comedy a little bit more than Disney does, obviously. They, they're fa- <laughs> the, adult Swim is not a family brand the same as Disney is but mm. he was driven off Twitter um, because of this so it's like this is going to continue to happen anyway yeah on and on it goes uh, I think like a great point that movie Bob brings up is that we need to draw a line in the sand and Disney who is a huge huge corporation that owns you know plenty of studios who are you know going to be dealing with, you know, the majority of the artists that we will be hearing from in the foreseeable future. Um, so it's really important what they stand for. And if they fall to this um, disingenuous, uh, politically fueled um, vendettas against against their artists, against their employees, 
um, that can be really dangerous and we might not be hearing from people who are on the left or people who outwardly um, speak up against certain things that are happening in America. Um, yeah, it's 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 potentially very scary. That is the thing I didn't bring, I didn't probably say clearly enough. The reason Gunn was targeted is because he was, in, he was a very vocal... Um, a detractor from Trump. Like he was yeah. constantly criticizing Trump and therefore he was targeted for that reason. The Hollywood elite left. He was a great example of that. So they pulled up a, mm. his problematic history and decided to go use that to try and punish him basically. Yeah. That's meanwhile, the other thing that's crazy about it is they still fucking hire Johnny Depp when he is, <laughs> you know, being accused by his wife of actually, you know, of, Harassment and not just abuse, right? Domestic yeah. abuse against his wife. Mm. And they will continue to employ him, but someone makes some off-colour jokes 10 years ago. and yeah. Well, yeah, that, that goes to the argument that, you know, well, Gunn was fired because you can't tarnish the name of Disney even like tangentially that's a hard word to say but like you you like you can't they can't have any association with that so that brings up yeah like you said the argument with Johnny Depp was like well he's had some pretty fucking terrible headlines about him mm-hmm. and he wasn't immediately you know on the chopping block so and yeah. ones that have real world ramifications that actually involve harming human beings mm. rather than making gross jokes for shock humor yeah anyway I think that's enough. I did have some other things I want to talk about, but I might leave them till next week. In fact, one of them, I did want to talk about Who is America, Sasha Baron Cohen's um, new television show, which mm-hmm. might be right where I'm at now after this last James Gunn discussion. We might leave till next week. And if you get a chance to watch it as well, Damascus, I'd be interested in your opinions on that too. God, you know how stressed I get, but I'll try. I'll try. Do you struggle with that? I've, I've never been able to finish Borat. I find it so stressful. <laughs> I can't watch it. I can't watch it. Oh, okay. Interesting. So I'll try. I'll try to watch one episode, though. All right. That? Awesome. I'll, we'll talk about that next week. In the meantime, let's get to our review, spoiler-free review, of BoJack Horseman Season 1 and 2. Let me clue you in. Season in review. BoJack Horseman is a Netflix original adult animated comedy drama series set in a world where humans and anthropomorphic animals live side by side and washed up sitcom star BoJack Horseman plans his big return to celebrity relevance with a tell-all autobiography dictated to his ghostwriter Diane Nguyen. Created by Raphael Bob Wattsberg, the show stars Will Arnett, Alison Brie, Amy Sedaris, Paul F. Tompkins and Aaron Paul, alongside a ridiculous list of regular and cameo celebrity voices, including Patton Oswalt, J.K. Simmons, Ben Schwartz, Naomi Watts, Lisa Kudrow, Olivia Wilde and Margot Martindale as character actress Margot Martindale. Bojack Horseman is available internationally on Netflix and premiered on August 22nd, 2014. Both season one and two consist of 12 episodes apiece, with each episode coming in at around 25 minutes and took us approximately 10 hours and 5 minutes to watch both seasons. Bojack Horseman's fifth season will be released in its entirety on September 14th, 2018. So Damask, before we get into our spoiler-free review, why did we decide to discuss Bojack Horseman? Why do we want to watch this and review this on the podcast? Yeah, look, honestly, I don't know. I th- I guess it's part – there's a lot of conversation around BoJack and how it um, is a great depiction of depression and how it is a fantastic show. So I guess it makes sense that we would want to look at it. But honestly, I don't know. It just ended up on our list and then we watched it. 
it was oh, there's a couple of things that are appealing about as you said people keep talking about it as each season comes out that there is it's getting better and better i think when the first season came out a lot of people i knew watched it or had seen it but didn't love it particularly mm. but then progressively i kept hearing oh season two was an improvement season three was really good had this great episode of it season four and season five is just around the corner i think and so now seemed like a good time as ever to talk about it but you've already seen season one before this is that right yeah i've actually watched season one twice <laughs> oh wow okay before <laughs> actually, it, doing it this time yeah oh yeah. wow oh, so, so you're an expert you're an, you're an expert on project <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Look, obviously, those two times it it didn't compel me to watch the second season. True. Um. So yeah, I had a lot of difficult feelings about it. Okay. Well, with that in mind, do you want to give your spoiler-free review of season one and two of BoJack Horseman for us? <laughs> sure. So, as I was saying, I have watched season one previously. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it a bit more, I think I might have watched it two and a half times before this time because I'd watched it season one two times through and then we were actually expected to do BoJack earlier on in the year. Mm. Um, I got confused, thought that's what we were doing. I think it was to start off the year. I get confused very easily. And so, I started watching it. Um, and then you told me, like, no, we're not doing that. I was like, oh, okay, well, I've already watched um, half the season again. So so now I guess I've watched it three and a half times through season one. And I didn't like it very much at all. I remember having a conversation with our um, former housemate and friend of the show, Lauren DeJong, about it. And, you know, I was confused as to why I wasn't enjoying it because everyone spoke – so fondly of it or with mm. such reverence and respect for the show. And I I just didn't understand. And she was like, well, yeah, it, you know, it's cool that we've got these, you know, um, animal-human hybrids and he's a horse and stuff. But she's like, really, it's just another show about a white privileged asshole who treats those around him like shit even though he has everything. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's why I don't like it. That's why I, I – really struggle to connect with it um, even though it is exploring depression, mental illness, um, celebrity, which are things that I am fascinated by but I think I just couldn't get behind this this asshole at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I never watched season two and then obviously through this I had to watch season two and that's when it clicked for me. I found while the character of Bojack is always deplorable, I think the the people around him become far more interesting this season. We yeah. get different perspectives, which is really vital with with when your um, titular character is so awful. Um, and also we see the depths of depravity in Bojack how that affects him, how that affects those around him. And it's just a more engaging story. And I finished season two and I all I wanted to do was watch season three. Like I, I yeah. really had to stop myself from watching season three because we've got a, another big show next week that's going to take up a lot of time. So I was like, I can't mm-hmm. get invested in season three right now. But I really wanted to. I was, I was there. Like it, I was so invested, which shocked me. But yeah, no, I season two was great. But like I said, season one never got me there. 
even though you watched it three and a half times. <laughs> That's right. What can I say? I'm a glutton for punishment. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I agree with you in, in a lot of ways there. I hadn't watched this three and a half times before uh, getting to <laughs> review it. I'd seen bits and pieces. My brother had had it on his place once when I think when it first came out, actually. Um, he, he had it on. He, he seemed to like it. And then I've since come to find out he didn't like it that much, actually. Although <laughs> he's watched a few episodes with me since and started to maybe find some of the humor in it. Mm. Uh, maybe in, in the second season. I think it's fair to say this show takes a while to get going. Oh, absolutely. I, th- I think there is there's enough to like initially. I think like the core cast is good. It's got the premises interesting enough, I guess. Although, as you said, it is a little bit like rote. We've done this before um, in terms of it being like a story about a privileged white man, sure. Um, but the setting makes it a bit unique um, and it's you know, ripe for making fun of, especially this, if you like animal puns, you're going to find this great. You're going to really enjoy that side of things. Mm. Um, and again, Hollywood is is fun to make fun of and, and look into as well because it's such a unique and crazy place as it is, then add, make animal-human hybrids. The first season cruises for me, it's constructed well enough, but it sails so smoothly from start to finish that it kind of just washed over me. It didn't have any mm. particular highs or lows and ultimately it kind of just blows into this one amorphic blob of fine. I got to the end of it and I had very few notes, like really very little written down, which then maybe that's a that's a weakness of me as someone critiquing it, but it just kind of just happened. Nothing about it stood out that I really wanted to discuss at great length at that stage. And season two didn't hit the ground running, but definitely grew on me in a way that season one didn't. It had a bit more propulsion. There was more. It was more willing to take risks with its own format, or, or expectations of what an episode would look like, which I really appreciate. And we've talked about that before um, with other shows as well. When it can, a show is confident enough to just be different from episode to episode and switch things up and, and make that part of its style. Um, introduced new side characters that I enjoyed and added to the. Na- uh, added to the narrative in compelling ways and it tested the characters and their relationships in surprising ways also. Exactly what you were saying is that as it went on, you found it more compelling. Um, When I finally got really invested in the show as a whole was in the final three episodes of season two. I feel like finally the show had found itself. It understood that it was... um, it, what it was talking about, sorry, it was talk, what it, talk, it was talking about was really interesting, serious ideas, and that it was okay to dive into those without filtering them through a joke machine all the time. Like it still was funny at times, mm. but it also understood that the story was actually compelling enough to just let it be its own story mm. and then tell it in a, a fashion that elevated that rather than diminished it through jokes and stuff like that. And that was great. That made me, and so. I, as always happens in shows, I started to care about the characters more. And as I cared about the characters more, I laughed more as well. Mm. And that just keeps happening. It's a formula that's true for me. If I, Parks and Rec, Community, all those shows, if I care about the people, I laugh more when you tell me the jokes have to do, when they're character motivated jokes. Yeah. Love that. So, undoubtedly, episode 22 is a bit too late to be hitting your stride, but it did <laughs> get there. And episode 22 yeah yeah that's i did the math and i was like oh yeah that's that 22 <laughs> episodes to get to a point where i was like oh excellent i like this show right. um but like you i got to the end of the second season having kind of just yeah cruised through it and watched in a, you know three or four episode chunks and moved on not really compelled to watch the next episode next episode necessarily to wanting to watch season three right away Mm. Not having done it, though, because that would spoil things for this podcast, mm. but looking forward to doing it. So, very similar to you. Do you have uh, 
score and a ranking. I don't know how you want to do this. I've got I've got one for season one and season two, if that works for you. Yeah, that's what I've done as well. What have you got for season one and what have you got for season two? Season one, I gave it a three. Mm-hmm. It is, I think, fine. I, mm. I think with you see great potential there, but also it... As you said, it's just kind of floating by. There's nothing spectacular in my mind. There's like a few moments here and there that I'm like, oh, that's cool. But it's mostly cool because of the potential I see in it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've, I've got to give it a three, I think. And for season two, I gave it a four. There cool. was, I, I found it incredibly compelling. Like you said, there were characters introduced that I was like, I really, I really enjoy you and I kind of hope you stick around. But I know because of the nature of the show, you probably won't. Um, there were some moments that hit me really, really hard and I thought they were beautifully written. The animation is incredible. Um, yeah, I, I think I've got to give it a four. It, it kind of it blew me away a little bit. But it's not it's not perfect, and I'm excited to see where season three goes. Sure, I similarly to you gave season one a three for the exact same scenario. It's fine. It's like I don't I don't want to dock at anything. What it was doing is serviceable, and it does it well enough, but just didn't stand out as being spectacular. I'm only giving season two a three point five. That it like I said, it really hits its stride towards towards the end. There's still parts of the show that don't compel me a lot. There is a certain character in particular that when they're doing stuff, I'm just sort of like okay. I don't, I'm nowhere near as invested in this stuff as I am others. Mm. Um, and I, it's a 3.5 feeling like next season could well be a 4 or 4.5. Like mm. if it really can grab onto what's starting to do at the end of this season, I can think, see the next season being really, really great. Yeah. And so I'm looking forward to that in a big way. Let's talk about the animation for a second though, because I think we can do this without going into spoilers just because we haven't really talked about that. What, what, why is the animation spec you know so good to you? What do you like about the animation of the show? <clears throat> I love I mean I love the color palette firstly. Mm-hmm. I think the the world that they have created is so vivid and wonderful. There's one moment uh in season 2 towards the end that really punctuates how far we've come. Um it's kind of this um almost like 3D shot of Bojack towards the end that um, re- it would, you know, added a sense of realism, of tragedy, um, uh, of excess and also loneliness that I just went, oh, I, I loved that shot. Um, but yeah, I, I can't go into more detail than that. Okay, because um, my I've I think there are definitely moments where the animation takes over. One, of my, I think my favorite episode of season one in particular does some really fun stuff animation wise. Mm, I think but, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But largely, I find while it's aesthetically pleasing in terms of its it um it ha- it's attractive in its own way that sort of painterly. Mm. Uh, style it's got going. The like you look at Bojack and his skin tones are like blotchy, like a mm. like watercolor almost, right? Mm-hmm. And it does some fun stuff with its style there, its color tones, and even the details in the background. I really like. I really like its like set dressing and stuff like that. But I find 
the one of the things I think one of the reasons I think I find season one to be sort of a little bit like cruisy is that because it's this these like sitcom one camera the angle doesn't change very often mm-hmm. like every shot inside Bojack's bedroom or in Bojack's lounge room or wherever it is are of a similar uh, angle and the characters are drawn from the same profile so often it can't it's got this flash animation almost South Parky type of stillness to or, or stiltedness to it that I mm-hmm. think means it has to rely on its writing and its voice acting more because the animation won't visually necessarily get a joke there because they're not putting all that much effort into trying to to show things dynamically all the time. There are moments where it does. There are moments where it really does make the choice to to go a little bit further. But so often it's... And this is not like it's the only animated show that does this, by the way. Like, um, I think there is... Like, this is no Cora. This is no Rick and Morty, which are a little bit more dynamic. Family Guy certainly does this sort of stuff too. One shot, it's like head to foot. Characters do look the same in every single shot sort of thing. But it it doesn't stand out as being spectacular to me. It's yeah, like... Yeah, I think season one... I, I agree. It mm. felt um, flat and static, I think. Mm. Uh, there was there were quite a few moments in season two and it was mannerisms that were brought to life in individual characters that made me go, holy shit, I, that, was, that was kind of a, <laughs> amazing. And it, it, it was the shock of, I think, from what we had seen in season one a lot to... Um, there was like a real sense of character infused in a lot of the mannerisms that I was seeing um, brought forward sure. in the animation. I was like, oh, cool, they're stepping up their game and helped solidify like the realness of the world. Like it it brought me into it. Cool. Yeah, no, yeah. And like my my general criticisms about it being, as you, or as you said, sort of static or whatever, it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't make the show worse it just doesn't stand out as being like the strong point of the show is necessarily mm. its animation throughout a lot of it. Where there mm. are, are shows out there, animated shows, where Rick and Morty, I think is a good example, where a show where it's animation, even though it's like its character style, its art style is not necessarily that spectacular. It's no, again, Cora. It does fun dynamic things from moment to moment mm. that make me go, oh, wow, this is really fun and interesting all the time. Bojack is always like that for me. Anyway, um, should listeners go and watch season one and two of BoJack before they listen to our spoiler spoiler section, our spoiler zone, or should they keep listening and just spoilers be damned? I would watch it. I would too. It was worth it in the end. If I wasn't loving it by the end of season two, I probably would have said otherwise. Yeah. But it's like, honestly, yeah, it's, it's, at its worst, it's not... Hard viewing. This isn't The Handmaid's Tale where it's like, <laughs> if you can't handle it, like, you're going to struggle. It's 25-minute episodes. It's plenty funny enough. It's Go just go watch it. Go watch it if you're interested in BoJack. Mm-hmm. Before we dive into spoilers, though, I'd like to remind everyone that you can that if you enjoy what we're doing here, we'd really appreciate you sharing this podcast with others who you think might also enjoy listening. We also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. That was like one of BoJack's alliteration jokes. Um, 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And now, it's time for spoilers. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in season one and two of BoJack Horseman. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of BoJack Horseman up to this point. If you've not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Kids, I'm going to tell you an incredible story. Storytime with Damask. Bojack Horseman was once a beloved sitcom actor with a penchant for wearing hideous sweaters. Now he's a washed-up bitter horse with serious substance abuse issues. He was destined to slowly descend into obscurity until he meets a ghostwriter, Diane. He's due to publish his memoirs, but he just can't pull himself away from the endless stream of booze and boobies. That's where Diane comes in. She promises to help leave behind a legacy that he can be proud of. The only drag with her is that she is in a relationship with Mr. Peanut Butter, a fellow sitcom actor whose career was propelled thanks to riding the coattails of Bojack's show, Horsin' Around. Diane has trouble reining in, get it, Bojack through his hijinks, whether it be calling into question the heroism of servicemen and women, or destroying Todd's rock opera dream, or stealing the D from the Hollywood sign. Yes, it's all fun and nays until someone starts sleeping with their drug-addicted fake TV daughter. The only thing that seems to wake Bojack up is the news that his ex-best friend and past showrunner has terminal rectal cancer, which has nothing to do with the gay stuff, just to clear that up. 20 years ago, Bojack turned his back on his friend when he was caught in the bushes with George Michael. So Bojack goes and asks for forgiveness, but Herb doesn't give it. Instead, he tells Bojack that he has to live with his decisions. They get in a big fight and Bojack leaves without any kind of resolution. So he does the mature thing and makes everything worse. On the way home, he decides to kiss Diane. She's not too happy about this and does a commando roll out of a moving vehicle just to get away from him. Shocked by being kissed by Bojack, Diane dives headfirst into a vat of peanut butter. And by that, I mean her and the world's cheeriest pooch decide to tie the knot. Bojack tries to destroy the nuptials, but the universe is not working in his favour and he doesn't get the girl. Diane eventually finishes the book and Bojack reads it. He is furious. He fires Diane and attempts to write another version in five days. Surprise, it doesn't go well. He does solve the gun crisis in America though, so it's not all bad. The book does come out and people love it. The masses connect with Bojack as a tragic hero. He eventually apologises to Diane and the book leads him to a place he thought was impossible. 
He's offered the role he has always wanted to play, Secretariat. The end. Except, no, no, in season two of Bojack, he is on set making his dreams come true. Only it turns out he may not be a super good actor. Ever since his dreams started coming true, he's been all about self-improvement. And now he's lacking the depth needed to play the part of Secretariat. He has to tap back into his darkness. He also has got a new lady love in his life. Wanda has just woken up from a 30-year coma and has become a network executive. They're a match made in heaven, a woman from the past, and a guy that can't seem to grow up. Mr. Peanut Butter learns that all of his crazy business ideas have actually drained all of his money, so he gets a job at Lady Footlocker. That is, until Princess Caroline and JD Salinger, of course, create the greatest TV game show in all of human and animal history. Mr. Peanut Butter gets the role as the host, and it's all good. That is, until Diane realises that she's unfulfilled and decides to go and report on the plight of those stuck in a war zone. She wants to make a difference, but she soon realises that that life isn't for her and she returns home. She's too sheepish to go to her actual home, although in this world I have to clarify that she hasn't become a literal sheep, but it's just, you know, a, a term people use. Anyway, she hides at Bojack's until she can figure out how to come clean to her hubby. This irks Wanda a little, having Bojack's past obsession hanging around the house in her PJs all night and day. But that's not the thing that gets between the two lovebirds. After Bojack and the Secretariat director try and turn the Hollywood fluff piece into a serious movie again, poor Kelsey is fired, and Bojack is left feeling unfulfilled and used by the industry again. When Wanda finally flies the coop, Bojack heads to New Mexico to rekindle a possible love story with Charlotte. Unfortunately, she's married with kids, so he tries to be happy just being a part of the family. He doesn't seem to grasp the concept that families don't fuck each other, though, so he tries to do the worst thing imaginable, and Charlotte tells him to leave or she'll kill him. Totally fair, Charlotte. Bojack comes home to learn that Secretariat has been finished without him, and all of his parts have been replaced by Andy Serkis. Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter run into one another at a restaurant and it is the sweetest thing. I love them so much. They make me really happy. So, will Bojack find a way to be happy next season? Who knows? But he will have to keep at it every day. That's the hard part. The end. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. Let's just jump into what you were talking about um, back in the spoiler-free review section. What were the animation moments in particular that stood out to you? The one in particular you said that was really, you know, showed how far we came and really impressed you. It was at the end of episode 11 Mm -hmm. on the boat as he's driving back to LA. Yes. It was just like a perfect... um, punctuation on what we had just seen and gave us a moment to kind of reflect on um, just how dark things have gotten and, yeah, seeing Bojack just with his sunglasses on sitting back um, just ignoring what has just happened. It's important. Mm. I mean, it. It's a great episode when it comes to its storytelling for a lot of reasons. I talked about how I found season two more refreshing because it was willing to play with its format. And this is a episode 11 is a perfect example. The episode starts uh, and it doesn't have the normal Bojack opening. There is another one at its place um, that's based around the family unit that Charlotte 
has now it's in just New like Mexico. Around, yeah. It's just like it's just like a horse in around sort of scenario, but about this mm. crazy family that he's going to spend the next two or three months with, or whatever it is. Mm. And then over the the that episode takes place, and a lot happens in that episode. And then he leaves New Mexico and heads back to LA. Having found out that maybe LA is the tar pit, he is the tar pit, <laughs> yeah. and. And then we get the BoJack, normal BoJack intro music as he has this sort of long montage on this boat back to LA. And it is a fantastic moment in the show Mm. and a fantastic sort of like, uh, yeah, uh, tying up that episode and and almost like almost like a soft reboot of where the show is. He heads back to LA and it's like, yeah, we need to resolve some things, but it's like we move on from here having finalize some of Bojack's storylines and trying to figure out where things go next. Oh, it's, a, it's an excellent moment in a great episode, I think. Yeah. I, that episode for me, I think, was – I mean, a lot of great things happened in season two, but that was the catalyst that made me go, oh, I really want to watch season three. Mm-hmm. The things that happen in that episode – the destruction of like, the last glimmer of hope for Bojack's redemption is so heartbreaking and upsetting and I think there is a level, we've gotten to a stage where there is a level of sympathy there for Bojack, but this show doesn't shy away from the complication or the complicated nature of Bojack in that while we can sympathise with how awful it must be to be such a terrible person, but also I think in the portrayal of Charlotte, we, you know, we get to see how terrible it is to be around someone like that and how destructive that is and not to shy away from how destructive it is. I think it's really important to focus on that while it is, you know, a hard place for Bojack to be in. He, he, his life is, you know, endless frustrations with his own existence, his own nature, but it is also really important to focus on the people around him and the damage it causes and not shy away from it. Like when she says, you know, I will kill you, mm-hmm. when she finds Bojack and I think her name's Penny in the boat, like, fuck, you, you feel it. Oh, yeah. You feel the anger and it's fantastic to feel that anger. Because like we are positioned as the audience with Charlotte, we we are right there with her, and like you are, you are so fucked up. But at the same time, we are just disappointed in mm-hmm. Bojack in the in the way that I think he would be disappointed in himself. Like, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking on two fronts, and it's a fantastic episode because of that. Um. I'm surprised that moment where he he's found starting to do something with Charlotte's daughter. I'm surprised that's not more. I don't know. That could have been more hokey, more weird, more like um, giving me like a, a a reaction or where I sort of rejected it because it was just kind of silly, like a horse and a seventeen year old deer. I don't know. There's something it, that I feel like it, it was it was played just right. I, it's funny that it does come across mm. as feeling real because, like, it's so overly dramatic that it could come across as in a show that's that is inherently a comedy as well. 
it could come across mm. as being hokey or something like that or or yeah. too dark. It's surprising that it, it does work. It, I think it's put the groundwork in. I, think that, yeah. I really think the episode before, for me, it's a trilogy of episodes. Yeah. So um, I just want to go back because I don't think it is overly dramatic. I think it's so short and sweet and visceral, the anger. It, it doesn't come from a place no, of... I don't mean the anger. I almost mean like what he's doing, what's the happening. The situation. The situation yeah, okay, of gotcha. it, yeah. yeah gotcha. Uh, which I think it's also helped that there's a long build-up to it. It's obvious mm, that absolutely. Penny yeah. or whatever the daughter's name is has been sort of like he's sort of said it's it's headed that way. You can certainly see how Bojack would be capable of this, has mm-hmm. managed to say no two or three times at that point. Yeah. And then this, like, as you said, this disappointment because somehow it still happened. Yeah, because we see, like, the happen. lead up with Sarah Lynn and see that his his values are so skewed yeah. and his need to be wanted in that way by someone who, you know, is kind of a daughter figure. Yeah, it's mm, it's a long road to this fucked up situation. Even just the, like I said, it's a trilogy of episodes to me. Even the episode before, episode uh, 10, and the breakup between him and Wanda mm-hmm. is one of my favourite scenes in the show as well. And just that final line that Wanda has. It's funny, when you look at someone through rose-tinted glasses, all the red flags just look like flags. That was mm. such a great line. Is that from something I haven't... I was like, is this a reference to something? It was such a... Well- I heard it and I was like, I've heard that before. Me too. Where, but Where have I heard that before? But I, I think it's possibly know. it's just gotten through pop culture. It's one of the things gotten around since this show. I don't it's presented Maybe. a way to be unique. It's not Yeah. A, it's I think it's their line. That's a great freaking line. It is a great Um and sort of builds into this next episode, then episode twelve. Now it's interesting you just said now, uh, clarify this for me. You think Bojack's sort of beyond redemption? Is that what you were saying? Or is that what it feels like at episode eleven? No, I think it the the destruction of that last like vestige of hope. I don't think he's hopeless. Mm. Um, I don't think he's too far gone. But I think holding on to that thing, you're like, well, if I just had that, if I just went there, I would be happy. Oh, I um, see what you're saying. It's, yes, yes. It's my it's my circumstances that are the cause of me acting a certain way or feeling a certain way. And then he goes there and completely destroys it, mm-hmm. which then, you know, means that you probably have to be like, oh, well, it's not that thing. Like you said, LA is in the tar pit. He's the tar pit and he's come to that realisation. He doesn't have a fantasy place to go to anymore where he can pretend like the problem isn't him. Yeah, which... I mean, that reflects back on something we said in an earlier episode. I can't remember which one it was. There was a question asked of when was he last truly happy? Mm. Or I think it was Diane talking to him. Um, it's like, what would have happened if you'd made the movie? It might have actually been episode 12. Um, he's talking to Diane. It's like, what happened with the movie? Oh, it would have made me happy for a while. It's like, and this would have made me happy for a while. And all these little things that would have given, you know, would have given him, that he thinks will make him happy, that if he yeah. reflects on them, would have made him happy for a while, but ultimately he was still going to be broken and nothing of those things can ever fix him. And at, when he left New Mexico, that montage, at first I thought was this like, wow, is Bojack just going to lead into being an asshole after this? Is he done? Is he so devoid of hope that he's just going to pr- stop even pretending to be a good person and just leading to being a 
uh, fuckhead. And then I was happy to see that this season, episode 12, really ends in a place of hope that through Mm. work (laughs) that (laughs) that he – it's not easy, but if he works at it consistently, then maybe he can find contentment or happiness in a way that he was never going to find by getting it from someone else. Um, I really love that at the end of this Mm -hmm. season as well. Um, now, in terms of discussion points here, did you have anything particularly you want to talk about, Damask? I think you were telling me before we recorded you had a few things you want to discuss. Yeah, I, yeah, I had um, for this season the idea of trying and failing mm-hmm. was um, really interesting to me. I think in season two. I feel like we're going to be talking about season two a lot. <laughs> I think so as well. well we, let's discuss yeah. season one for a second. What is it yeah. about season one? Why is it that we're not talking about season one so much? I personally think it's just because the the show sets up a particular narrative and plays it pretty much through to the end in season one, and it doesn't come as a massive surprise. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's like we set up that he's a horrible person. He's you know dealing in this post-celebrity sort of position he's in where he's had his time in the spotlight. He's trying to recapture that. He's trying to make himself relevant. He's trying to make himself happy. Diane comes into his life. She's obviously going to be the foil for him in that season. That is the case. It's a complicated relationship because she has a complicated relationship with Mr. Peanut Butter and Bojack, and that plays out over the course of the season. I don't get to a place at the end of it where I'm left really going, okay, I, I, I was surprised or... Or you know, yeah, super engaged it, with that. Yeah, it doesn't have the emotional richness that season yeah. two has, and I, I, I also think that it would be incredibly difficult for you know the first season of a show to do that. And so Definitely. I, you know, I, I acknowledge that. Yeah, it, it's just not as engaging as season two. There are, um, I think, tonal problems as well in season one. I think there's still some in season two um, when you're dealing with some really heavy stuff and then you've got characters that seem from kind of from a different show. Um, Usually they balance it quite well, but there are still some shifts that feel uncomfortable or strange. Yeah, so I I, – yeah, unfortunately I do think that we're probably going to sidestep season one a little bit just because it – I don't think that's where the interesting discussion is. Yeah. Mm. Which may be part of the reason we're doing season one and season two together in the, yeah. in the podcast. Because <laughs> maybe yeah, we didn't not. feel like we had a lot to talk about with just season one. But anyway. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to discuss kind of trying and failing, um, particularly in season two. Because we have Bojack. He finally gets his dream. You know, it's – but he also has to accept that the reality is very different. You know, he sees this project of the Secretariat um, – spinning out of control he you know seemingly does the right thing he tries to course correct he gets you know kelsey the director to help him out and you know that ends up with her fired for it and he's stuck in this situation where he has to make the opposite of what he wanted and we also have diane you know who comes home from cordovia she isn't the woman that she expected herself to be. She stops writing the book. She runs back to LA but not back home, Mm. um, realising that she just couldn't do it. And I think even though this this season tells us that even though you 
you're well-intentioned for the most part, you lose sometimes and it sucks and it can be devastating. And I think that's something that we need to see. It's such a huge part of life. It, I think, adds for a lot of us the, this disillusionment with adulthood that a lot of us feel. And it's also the opposite of the lesson that's been jammed down our throat our entire lives. This idea that you know you just got to you just got to work hard and you'll get the thing. I mean, so many of our stories have that, and I think it's it's important to have the opposite of that narrative, which is like you can work really hard or you can like believe something is your path in life, and sometimes it's just not, and sometimes it's just not going to work out for you, and you have to sit in the devastation of that and just feel it and feel it. I mean, Mr. Peanut Butter, I'm I'm gonna um. This isn't a direct quote, but he says every one of your dreams can come true with the right attitude. And if they don't, then you probably don't have the right attitude, which I think a lot of us subconsciously have that in our mind. That if we're failing, it's all our own failings and... Yeah, we didn't want it, you know, enough. enough. We didn't work hard enough or whatever. And sometimes that's just not true. Well, as you said, that's certainly the the story we get told a lot, you know, that's a very Disney thing to say, right? It's like, oh, work hard enough and your dreams will come true as well. Though if you want an antidote to that, I highly recommend people watch Monster University. The uh, prequel to Monsters, Inc. has a really good sort of antithesis to that idea, which I really, really appreciate. I think it's a really good message that more people, kids probably need to understand that, you know what, sometimes maybe you're just not good enough to do exactly the thing that you think you need to be or want to be doing. It's not the right fit. Yeah. Mm, mm. Um, mm. In the Diane stuff is really great. I really like it. They were able to find something for her to do. I found uh, she wasn't all that compelling in season one mm, for me. Agreed. And then her relationship with Mr. Peanut Butter is a lot more interesting in season two, which I love. And particularly this whole idea of her like the doing something so sort of poorly. Um, considered as coming back to LA and then just hiding from Mr. Peanut Butter for two months <laughs> and just sort of yeah. turning, like really seeing her at her lowest living in Bojack's house. And mm. um, I love that illustration of that character and what she became and her like on oh, her little dick. Her messy hair. Her I messy love it. hair, mm. just the real slovenly look, the messages yeah. to herself, like her little ideas for like um, shows and things like that she had on her. Mm. <laughs> what was it? I think she had at one point, it's like. Uh, Idea for a Pixar film, pizza boxes. What are they doing? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was one as well. I think I want to say it was. Um, I think it's uh, Princess Caroline comes in. She's like, and Diane to all the dictaphones. I was like, suggestion for Princess Caroline. Shut up and just like <laughs> walked away. The um, I really love that. And then, what did you think about the scene later on? She's sort of got a job. She's becoming a celebrity tweet tweet writer, which I love that idea. It's like um it's it's like less work but more people read it or something like that. It's like mm. less words but read by more people. And she's starting to do that for that uh that pop star, the dolphin pop star who's getting her <laughs> blowhole bleached. And <laughs> and then Mr. Peanut Butter sees her and you're just like, oh, this is gonna be awful, right? You're waiting for this ridiculous fallout. Mm. And to have that sweet moment where he calls her on the phone and, like, they have that conversation about him missing her and 
fuck man, that hit me hard. I didn't think I cared yeah. about Mr. Peanut Butter and Diane all that much. Like, I just sort oh, of see them I as did. an inevitable falling out as a couple. But this made me believe in Mr. Peanut Butter and Diane. Yeah, and I love that it echoes um, what Diane said to Bojack earlier about what she wanted to happen, which was she wanted to go home and just, you know, just can be like, oh, start talking about his day and not have to talk about all the things that she had seen or mm-hmm. all the reason that's like why why she was back and why she couldn't do it and why she's not the person that she thought she was. And that's what happened because that's who Mr. Peanut Butter is. <laughs> but it always makes me laugh when she calls him Mr. Peanut Butter. Like it's <laughs> just so <laughs> it's so silly. Um I think the evolution of Mr. Peanut Butter and Diane this season was am- it was amazing to me. I really enjoyed it. This is a relationship that in season one was particularly the character of Mr. Peanut Butter was a jo- was a joke, it was and a it joke, wasn't a yeah. particularly funny joke yep. to me. He was one note. Their relationship didn't seem to make any sense other than to be a comparison between her relationship with Bojack, which was cemented more um, in an emotional connection, Mm -hmm. an intellectual connection that she seemingly did not have with Mr. Peanut Butter. So I'm glad we got to see um, a a more in-depth look at their relationship. And I think it's, it felt to me like a real and complicated relationship. We have an eternal optimist and a lost intellectual, yeah. <laughs> uh, which can be good. It can be a fantastic balance to have those two things unless obviously the negatives of the two personalities begin to poison the other, which I think is what uh, they struggle with in that episode um, about Diane's birthday party. Yeah. And Diane loves, you know, Mr. Peanut Butter's simplicity. It makes her see the good. It helps her be enthusiastic and joyful. But also I think there is a great sense of how that can be isolating. When when Diane is filled with something perhaps darker, like how, how can you look at someone that represents delight the mm-hmm. way that Mr. Peanut Butter does and tell them just how fucked up you are like how would it feel to see their face change when they realise who you are? And Diane is struggling with that. She wants to be connected. She loves Mr. Peanut Butter, but they are so different at the core that how do you feel seen by someone like that who only sees the good when you know there's dark in you, you know? How do you <laughs> – so obviously this is a show that takes place with this animal-human hybrid characters mm. you know mr peanut butter is a is a golden lab or a yellow labrador and bojack is a is a horse the seeing first of all just the weirdness of seeing humans and animal hybrids like intermingling coupling mm. being sexual creatures together mm-hmm. but then things like there's a moment in they constantly sort of remind you that these animals still behave like animals in some ways. Yes, they're human. They mm-hmm. you know, they they uh, speak English and, and communicate in that way. And there's a whole episode that's based around sort of the complexities of the idea of like the meat industry and stuff like that in this world, which is great. I was glad they got to that. I was like, this is really confusing. Like people are eating 
cow when there's a cow serving you. <laughs> I'm very confused about what's how this world operates. But the um, there's a scene, like a little moment. It's really tiny. It's mainly a joke, but it, it, I'm, I, I think it speaks to, to sort of some of what it's doing. In that episode where they're having the argument about the, around the Diane's party, they're in the jello pool. I love this, what you're about to talk about. Yeah. And Diane says, you're a good boy. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> and it's such a... <laughs> it's... God, it made me laugh so much. It made me laugh you know, too. It's a really serious moment. She's yes. like, you know, I love you, Mr. Peanut Butter, and you're a good boy. Yes, yes you, you are. are. Yes, you are. are. Like, she says it so earnestly. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not... It's not <laughs> yeah. But it's like it complicates things because it's like you you draw this parallel in my mind. It just it draws this parallel between like your relationship you do have with your dog and their relationship is very much like that. She like mm-hmm. she talks about how great it is to come home and you know have him excited to see her and stuff like that and all the things you get from having a dog. As mm. but that's a pet and a pet is different to a partner and it complicates that relationship and how meaningful it can really be, even though it has this lovely ending at the end of season two, it still feels like inevitably this it can't be enough for Diane just because I'm not sure that that's enough. That's all you... I think you need more than that. You can't... You're mm. be, that, like, that's your best... Like, I, I don't know. Maybe there's an argument that maybe your your partner should be your best friend, but, you know, is a dog the same thing as... I don't, it's, I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too much into this, but I just find those little parallels yeah. really odd. I mean, I... <laughs> I don't know. I think because it's if, a great joke. <laughs> if my cat could have <laughs> conversations with me, I'm not saying I would date her. Yeah. But I like if my cat could have a conversation, I'm I'm sure we'd be fucking best friends. Like, and we'd get along really well. So, yeah, it it does. Honestly, it doesn't bother me the whole animal thing. Um, I think I don't know. It just kind of. It, makes me laugh it it doesn't distract from the reality of the relationship well, I or think how it I... adds to it I, 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 but I mean yeah. it complicates as well in the sense that if you're going to draw that parallel then what are you saying about these two people if he is sort of Diane's pet and yeah. They're, well, they're, you know, he he says that he just sits on the couch and waits for her yes, to come home. That's right. But best and part that, of his day is when she shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the bit. And I'm while of. that is represented in the fact that he is a dog and that is something that dogs do, there are also people that do that. That's that true. Just that's true. Wait, that's just wait for their partners to come home. That their partner is really the greatest and sometimes only source of joy in their life. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I yeah, I the the. The aesthetic that he's a dog, it's fine. I can move it aside and just see and almost ignore and be like, well, that's just him as a person. He's this happy-go-lucky guy who is just, he's all about this one person. And that makes him really joyful and that's enough for him. Um, this is a slight side note, but just because you mentioned about uh, like Millie would be your best friend if you have conversations with her. My mm-hmm. girlfriend, Steph, who I think is a very big fan of yours, by the way, just said to me off the cuff the other day, it's like, I really, really enjoy Damask and Millie's little romance. It's on Instagram. <laughs> it's it's really sweet. <laughs> Look, we we really love each other. You do, you do, no doubt about so, it. La- so my cat is an indoor cat, right? And last night, um, it was it wasn't me. The front door was left <gasps> open to my house. Oh no! Um, so I woke up, you know, six thirty this morning. Got up, door was open. I was like, oh shit, where's Millie? So I walk around, 
and I opened the front door slightly a little bit more to see, you know, I was like, oh, I better go look for her. She was just sitting there. She hadn't gone anywhere. She yeah. was just like, I'm going to see her. She, she, um, she's obsessed with me and I'm obsessed with her no. and we love each other so, so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's very sweet. <laughs> Uh, let's move on. She's to- my best friend. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. It's- yeah, sometimes you just gotta let out the love. Totally. Mm. Uh, let's move on to a couple of other characters. Then um, let's quickly talk about. I want to talk about um, Princess Caroline for a second mm. as well. She, I think, gets short shit, short thrift. Short. She doesn't get enough to do in season so did one. She got short shit. Short shit. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> no, she doesn't get a whole lot to do in season one. She's sort of this like the hanger on ex sort of on and off on and off again girlfriend slash agent of Bojack in season one. And I didn't find her stuff com- particularly compelling or interesting in season one at all. Hell, for a long time in season two, I wasn't getting a whole lot out of Princess Caroline. And then there's a moment where they introduce a character that's just for Princess Caroline. Um, Benj- what was that? Sorry? Vincent Adultman? Or do you mean the rabbit? I meant the well, Vincent Adultman. <laughs> Vincent Adultman is a great ongoing joke that I'm really glad they never 100% just... Revealed. Like, they never... In fact, it's so... They still haven't actually said outright that Vincent Adultman is three kids stacked on top of each other. I mean, except for Bojack, who says it all the time. Bojack... No, Bojack says it. He... That's his suspicion. Like, he's... Mm. And there's a 99.9%... He's suspicious. He's like, it's clearly three kids. And he's 99%... But I like how the show never, ever, ever shows him taking that joke off. Reality of the show doesn't confirm 100%. The it, yeah. <laughs> it suggests very heavily that he's right, but never 100% confirms it, which I love. The fact that he has a broom for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, uh, that, that is great. No, it's not that character. I'm glad yeah. they sort of broke them up early because she was being stilted in that relationship and in yeah. that storyline. Mm. But then they introduce um, Ben Schwartz's character. I can't remember his name, but the the, the rabbit or the hare that's in the the agent office be- directly below Princess Carolyn's, and from there starts this whole thing to starts a romance with her, but also is it gets her to um, uh, to start a new agency with him, and just seeing her at the end of this season get to a point where she's taking control of her own destiny a little bit more yeah. was really good and great to see her get a moment to have some growth and to propel her into hopefully more interesting storylines next season um not having yeah. to be defined by the this the man in her life which so often had seemed to be the case she was stuck yeah being defined by this woman in her 40s being... And, like, there's a great scene, I think it's in the elevator, where he goes to... Because he's got a wife that he's apparently going to divorce, where he goes in to kiss her and she doesn't want to, and he says that, you know, um, this is this is your options. Like, there's no one else out there for you, and if you don't settle sooner or later, you're just going to end up being lonely. Mm. And her deciding that, fuck it, I don't need a man at all, necessarily. I just need to, you know, live my own life and take control of my own destiny. I thought it was fucking great. I was yeah, really happy. I, I think that um, we, while it's usually sidelined and just bit pieces here and there with Caroline, I mean, her episode in season one where, you know, she, 
she goes through some shit with Bojack, clearly something that they have done a million times before, and it ends with her, you know, alone in her office with her phone wishing her a happy 40th birthday and then going into a relationship with Vincent Adultman, which isn't a, you know, a particularly fulfilling relationship, but I think one that gives her some stability, gives her a sense of love that she wasn't able to receive from Bojack. And her her leaving that relationship, getting involved with this uh, rabbit, you know, she's 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 seen some shit. She's gone through some highs and lows, and I think yeah, we've we've ended up in a really good place for Princess Caroline. Uh, I'm looking forward to her, yeah, not putting up with people's shit as much. And, and while you know she tells Bojack to fuck off a lot of the time, um, we see her shit on pretty regularly. So I well, think she's, it's gonna- she's partly her own worst enemy. She keeps coming oh. back to. Every time she tells him to fuck off, she also jumps back in at the first opportunity as well. Oh, abs- absolutely yeah. she does. Um, so, yeah, a more empowered Princess Caroline, you know, I'm, I'm looking for- forward to seeing that in season three. But I agree, it has been a very slow burn. Um, it has been, I think, unevenly paced with her. Uh, sometimes it feels like they're not sure what to do with her or they're stalling perhaps in order to get to this position at the end of the season. But I'm but I'm glad we're there. Um, and finally, I really want to talk about character-wise, I really want to talk about um, Todd. Oh, yes, please. I really need to talk about that. The, the, the living <laughs> human, almost Bojack's pet in a way, if you think about it, who mm. sleeps on the couch and all those sorts of things, um, played by Aaron Paul. Mm-hmm. He, if you've listened to our The Good Place reviews, he is this show's Jason. Now, if you don't haven't watched The Good Place, you won't know what that means straight away. So I'm not going to say out loud what that me- what who Jason is in The Good Place, but I highly recommend you go and watch The Good Place. I'm listening actually. There's a um, a podcast, The Good Place podcast, that is very good. That's, oh, cool. That involves like the cast members and writers and stuff like that talking about the really? show. And I imagine when the new season arrives later in the year, they're going to do one for every episode. There'll be a weekly one that discusses that episode, which can be really interesting. Oh, um, fun. Anyway, you should go watch The Good Place and listen to that podcast. But the... Uh, yeah, Jason is a character in that show that I find problematic because I find him fucking not interesting and completely unfunny. <laughs> and I have a very similar feelings about Todd. Mm-hmm. I like Aaron Paul enough in Breaking Bad. I haven't seen a lot of him since then to be really interested in him as an actor. And it's not, I'm not saying it's even his fault, though he is an executive producer on Bojack Horseman, which is interesting as well. But that character does very little for me. And his little uh, sh- it's like B and C plot shenanigans are completely <laughs> distracting to what it makes the show good for my mind. I don't know how you feel about it. No, I I agree with you. And the show itself points out the problem of Todd. They constantly reference his unrelated side quests and that no one cares about him or his adventures. But I think pointing out the problem isn't enough. And as I was watching it, it reminded me of Glee, actually. And now Glee is much, 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 much worse when it comes to this. But they fell into this trap time and time again. There would be a weakness in the show 
they would reference the weakness in a, oh, we know, aren't we clever for knowing and acknowledging it, but they don't comment on it any further and they don't actually attempt to fix it. Right. So Todd is always an issue for me and I think at the end of season two we have Bojack saying, you know, we're best friends and stuff, but I'm I'm yet to see within the actual show that I've seen thus far Todd be a truly compelling character and I think this goes to what you were saying earlier. When you care about the characters, you laugh more. Yeah. I don't care about Todd, so I find his, you know, hijinks not particularly funny. I'm not. I'm not laughing with him because I don't care about him. Yeah. I think it was amazing. It's you know, in the um, birthday party scene, we have Todd in the car with two phones, and I was like, I care more about these two phones than I have <laughs> ever cared about Todd. <laughs> like, I think that's the best Todd side quest that I have seen. Um, yeah, because they made me feel something, and it, unfortunately, it wasn't feeling anything for Todd. I um I like to a degree where they end with him, but less because mm. of what it means for Todd and more for what it means for Bojack. Yeah, like yeah. it's part of helping Bojack to discover that he feels good when he helps people. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like other people and they're like, helping other people can make him feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good thing for Bojack, but it didn't like Todd's whole Scientology slash, um, uh, improv. improv thing did nothing for me on any level. Just <laughs> did nothing for me. Yeah, and is a, and is constantly the case with most of his stuff. There are occasional episodes where I'll be like, "Oh, that one was okay," but for the vast majority, I'm just like, "Can we please get back to what other characters are doing?" Because I just mm-hmm. do not care about this sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, which is a shame. But you know, who knows? Maybe the show will find something for him to do in future seasons. Just speaking of like sort of the BC stuff, background stuff, something I do love about the show just generally is it it's sort of evolving world, um, the evolving reality they exist in. So, little things like that become big things. Like in, epi- in the middle of season one, Bojack steals the letter D for Diane, right? <laughs> and then it, it's not Hollywood anymore. It's Hollywood. Hollywood. Right? <laughs> Which is great. And that is consistent from then on for the rest of the show. Everything is Hollywood, Hollywood, Hollywood. Um, That is true of like Bojack buying the restaurant in season one. That is Bojack owns the restaurant in season one after that. There are all these, I mean, there are even more subtle things than that, but there's just like the stuff with Margot Martindale that's ongoing. It's got this... Esteemed character actress. Esteemed character (laughs) actress Margot Martindale. And there's this constant ongoing evolution of the world around it where everything that happens does matter and is tangible. It's not like everything is reset at the end of the episode like many sitcoms would do. Um, Mm. Like I'm sure Horsing Around would have done um, when it was on the air. And I really appreciate that as well. I think that's true of its storytelling as well is that it is building and building and building. So while season one isn't the most compelling season of the show by a long way compared to season two, it does feel like things that were set up in season one are being discussed and built upon and referenced and nothing is forgotten. And I think it's really mature storytelling that gives me a lot of hope as the show goes on that's only going to build further and further and further and further and further upon that. Um, There was a couple of, I think there was something you were saying, there was something was set up in another conversation 
um, that was reflected later in another in a later one. I think it was Diane's conversation talking about what she wanted to happen with um, oh, peanut butter, yeah, peanut butter. or even just that argument, that episode where they have the argument um, during the party or after the party. Mm. I think that there's a lot of that going on in this show that is very mature, and I don't always appreciate in the moment, but do appreciate later, and mm. that's a good thing. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that, or just on the world in general? Yeah, I think on. Yeah, with after we see what happens in episode eleven of season two, going back and remembering, um, I think, which is one of the 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 best parts of season one, which is when Bojack goes to see Herb. That's his name, right? Herb. Yeah. Yeah, Herb. Um, and he says to Bojack, he's like, "You know what your problem is? You want to think of yourself as the good guy. Well, I know you better than anyone, and I can tell you that you're not." In fact, you'd probably sleep a lot better at night if you just admitted to yourself that you're a selfish goddamn coward who takes whatever he wants and doesn't give a shit about who he hurts. That's you. That's Bojack Horseman. And I think I think this show probably gets better with a rewatch once you've watched more of the show. Yeah. Um it so yeah, I think yeah, it does it does build um in a way that I think as we continue on watching more seasons of Bojack will become more and more intriguing and enveloping. Um, and I enjoy the complexity of it. And I, I hope that continues from what I've heard, just, you know, vague things that I've heard out there in the, in the ether, um, that that's what it does. So I, and I, and I think it's a real accomplishment the way that they have these really mature, intense things and the way that away too overbearing or too heavy, too early. Um, but when they hit you, they they hit you they hit you hard, but in the right moment. Yeah. Mm. Do you have anything on the more dramatic side of things, character wise or theme wise, that you want to talk about? Because I would like to transition just a little bit before we get into our final thoughts into more the the humorous side of things, the comedy side mm-hmm. of this. Sitcom. I think I've tackled all my dark stuff, I think. Okay, cool. Well, mm-hmm. we were just talking about the world there. I also wanted to mention the evolving thing. I liked how the um, the opening credits evolved. That Not just that they were different from season one to season two because they changed from the store supermarket bit to being on set for Secretariat. But even mm-hmm. like the characters in those scenes changed. So once Wanda was introduced and moved in with... Jack Wanda was in the opening bit in the house. And then when the directors changed, that changed. And I like that just sort of ongoing evolution. It's like acknowledging mm-hmm. where we're at and that things are changing is good. But it, we kind of talked about this as well. How do you feel about... We've talked about the idea of the world being inherited, like being half human, half animal hybrids. Do we like that just as a joke? Like, there are so many animal puns in this show ongoing <laughs> all the time. Just things like a bird flying, a bird person flying down and landing on a, on a telephone wire. Or like the the sniff, like the hound, the inspector dog will be like a hound dog. Or like things like that. How The yeah. worker bees like being the, actual bees. The police officer being called like meow meow fuzzy face. Or meow meow fuzzy face. <laughs> I think it's a nice little bit of spice on a um, solid story that's already there. I think the story is there and I think the humour around these animal hybrids, it just, it's just kind of, 
I like it. I my expression on your face, you don't like it. No, no, it. I actually, I, I, I think I'd, early on, I was like, is this all this show is? Like, is this its humor? Yeah. Is this where it comes from? And then it be, it sort of becomes a little, I don't know, somehow it got funnier to me as it went on. It just got... Yeah, it, it does. See, I, things I think like that's Maggot true. Gyllenhaal next to Jake Gyllenhaal, <laughs> <laughs> which made me ask a lot of questions. Um. Yeah, I came around on those like things. Like Scott Wolf for Matthew Fox, which Matthew- was a real throwback to the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. It it took me an embarrassingly long time to realize this show was probably just pitched as, "What if we elaborate on the joke? Why the long face? Because that's what this show is. It's just the longest yeah. horse walks Apparently- into a bar." There is a great story to do with the pitch of this show and how this show got made. Now, I haven't read it. I have no information about it. I've just heard um, little bits here and there that apparently it's a really good story as to how this show actually came to fruition. Interesting. Uh, so maybe Google that, guys. It's very vague. I'm I'll sorry. have to look that up now. If I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. I might write that down to try and look you can for talk, that. Maybe talk about that in season three. That's a good idea. We actually do our research. Yeah, good idea. That'd be. Let's do some work <laughs> for once. Do you have any... Favorite jokes from the show at all? I've got a couple written written down. I can start if you want, and you can. Um, I've got one. Just on, I'll say it because it's the forefront of my mind, and I'm very forgetful. It's uh, it, one. Just the whole joke of Mr. Peanut Butter's um, game show, <laughs> yeah. but the transition between segments in which like this woman <laughs> screaming Death from above <laughs> at the end of like the world and how everyone's dead and stuff. It was just so bizarre. Every time it made me laugh a lot. Yeah. That was definitely Alison Brie yelling those bits too. And I <laughs> love Alison Brie's yell. When she, uh, If you've seen the Lego movie, she does uh, plays Unikitty, who when yeah. she gets angry, has this really like visceral yell scream thing happening. <laughs> Fucking, I love Alison Brie's scream. I love Alison Brie in general, but that's just a different yes, story okay. entirely. Um, I think one of my favorite lines is in season one, there's uh, something's going on between Mr. I can't remember the context between Mr. Peanut Butter and Bojack, and he just says, "I'm sick of this dog and pony show." I was like, "Yes, great line, <laughs> well done." Even on the retail, it's funny. Yeah, the the it just made me go like, at what point did, were these characters chosen specifically for these puns they could put, throw in later? Yeah. The when Bojack is listening to his audiobook, he's getting like motivation as he's running. It's like, and it's like, everything is a metaphor. You are literally a metaphor. I was like, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> and pro- the dumbest one, probably of all, mm. but for some reason, it worked on me so well. I, I just want to say, I, I like the character of Wanda a lot. I liked, um, it's Lisa, Q- Lisa Kudrow, sorry, yeah. doing the yeah. voice. And. I just love her character design. Everything about Wanda, I think, is fascinating. But the introduction that she's woken up from a 30-year coma and doesn't know all these celebrity um, like these celebrity references from the sort of recent past, and every time they mention one, this who? owl woman just goes, who? Why is that so funny to me? <laughs> it made me laugh way too much. It's funny because it's funny. <laughs> it's so silly. It's so yeah. silly. Just little bits like the fact that every time um, – Princess Caroline like puts Bojack on hold or whatever. I think it's even when her phone rings. It's like Jellicle Cats from the musical yes. Cats, which yes. I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, the, no. There are some great ringtone jokes. The best one being in the last episode, oh, which made me stop <laughs> and go and find it and download it to my phone because it was so fucking funny. I, as soon as I saw it, I was like, well, that's what I need to have on my phone. Sarah Koenig doing... 
doing her serial ringtone for Diane was just like, this is amazing. Does, this, does it exist? Can yeah, you get it? Oh, I've got it. it if you oh, ring oh, me today, it will, it will play. Oh, cool. Okay, I'm going to download it. Oh, man. I'll send it to you. I'll, uh, I'll uh, Dropbox it to you next time I see you. Please do. Oh, so good. Did you actually, speaking of cameos, though, did you have any favourite cameos? Um, I mean, Lisa Kudrow, I think, what a fucking star this season. Mm. I think she was perfect as Wanda. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, just, I mean, I just love Lisa Kudrow because I'm not a huge Friends fan, mm-hmm. but I think we can all agree that she's, like, the best thing in Friends. Like, she's so genuinely funny. Um, I was more of a Chandler every- person myself, but that's because every guy wishes yeah. they were Chandler. Like, every guy who watches Friends is like, I'm the Chandler. Oh, I'm not the Chandler, but I like Chandler. But go on. <laughs> okay. Um, and obviously, I love Romy and Michelle, and I just i I think she's fabulous. So, and I she's, she's got a great voice for voice acting. I also am Maria Bamford is one of my favorite comedians, mm-hmm. and so she plays Kelsey, and I think she's played a couple of other roles as well, maybe in season one and stuff. But she's she's she does a lot of um, voice actor work, and I think she's. Fabulous. Did you recognize her straight away as Kelsey? Because I, I didn't. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. She didn't stand out to me. But <laughs> I am me. very familiar with Maria Bamford's voice. It mm. took me a, I didn't realize straight away it was Ben Schwartz playing the, the hair rabbit guy that, yeah. with Princess Caroline. Um, but I like all of, I love his stuff. He's ever since Jean Ralphio. Um, Henry Winkler doing his cameo as Henry Winkler <laughs> was pretty Henry good. Winkler, yeah. Doing Henry Winkler. And similarly, actually, these next three cameos are all people playing themselves. Daniel Radcliffe mm-hmm. has been making fun of his status as a celebrity ever since Extras, and he does it really well. He does like, it fantastically, He yeah. does not take himself seriously at all, and I really, really appreciate that. But my favourite one of all, and this is actually something nice I can say about season one, I love Naomi Watts doing Naomi Watts. <laughs> like... That was fantastic. That was so good. Um, yeah, no, I really, really enjoyed that stuff. Anything else? Any uh, other jokes? Any I think just commenting on the cameos that they have, they're incredible. Like, how are they getting these? They had Paul McCartney on. Yeah, the they Paul had Naomi Mc- Watts in season one. Yeah. Like, what is going on? The Paul McCartney literally showing up. Sorry, say, say again. Are they just friends with all these amazing people? Like, how is this happening? There, there must be something going on because it. Uh, I wonder if it's because it's a story about Hollywood and celebrity that it's just really easy to get all your Hollywood celebrity friends to like get in on this, get on the joke. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, Paul McCartney actually like I knew he was going to come out of the cake, but the question all episode yeah. was, is it going to be actually Paul McCartney? And then yeah. you watch the credits, it's like, holy fuck, it was actually Paul McCartney. He started <laughs> to do a line to no one except himself on screen. That's really strange. Even yeah. the fact that J.K. Simmons, I don't understand why he does so much. I mean, he's got a great voice. I'm glad he does. But I feel like J.K. Simmons is a... He could be sure doing serious, like, indie movies, right? And he keeps doing, like, uh, Tenzin in Korra. And now he's doing the... The turtle producer guy, whose name I can never remember, in this turtle Todd, turtle, turtle Todd, or whatever it is. Yeah, like mm. Pat Oswald as well in this. So yeah. like, there's a lot Pat of great Oswald's voices. Always great. Yeah, I mean, sure, you can do like really serious Oscar bait movies, or you can like sit in the studio and pretend to be, you know, a fucking turtle. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it sounds pretty good to me. I get it. I like um, Kevin. I think it's Kevin Oben Obenkirk or Kevin, the guy who. Does the voice of the news presenter, uh, the big whale guy as well? Uh, yeah. He's a, he's a very interesting guy. I've only seen he's done a couple of like political. Um, he does look like GQ or something, doesn't he? Or possibly. Like, 
He's done yeah, some great like Trump really takedowns and stuff online that I've really enjoyed. He's got a great voice as well. I really enjoy. It's amazing, like newscaster voice. Yeah. yeah. Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Some quick side notes. Just got a couple here. I love um, whenever Bojack's making a phone call. Mm-hmm. Neither his ear nor his mouth is anywhere near his phone. <laughs> yeah. I liked I was it back in the um eighties or nineties, whatever, when he had a phone, it was actually the size of his face. Like it actually yes. fit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the eighties with the great eighties like song he would listen to as he's driving about the eighties mm. that sounded yeah. like the eighties and the giant phone and stuff like that. Yeah, that yeah. was excellent. And I love the reference of like when we go back in the eighties, how they mention back to the future. I'm like, We get it, you're in the fifties. Stop referencing it. I thought that was a perfect That's lead. Right. Yeah. The I also just like I get a very Ray Romano vibe from him back in the days of making horsing around. It's something about his yeah. hair or his jumpers or something. It's a very like don't know what it is, but I really like like a oh, young It's it's totally Cosby with the jumpers. Cosby. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and then because Mr. Peanut Butter has this spin-off, and I can't remember the name of the spin-off, but there was like a Cosby like they pretty much just copied it with this guy and he was called Mr. Something, Mr. Something's House. Yes. And I used to watch yeah, it, but I yeah. can't remember who was in it or anything about it, but yeah. Oh, so that's right. the parallel there. Oh, yeah. that makes sense. Okay, cool. Um, there's a character in the episode where Bojack goes on Do Celebrities Know Stuff, whatever the show is called, Mr. Pampo's <laughs> show. I don't know. Let's find out. Yeah. Let's find out. Do they know stuff? Let's find out. Um, and there's that mouse character that Todd's talking to. Mm-hmm. And she's talking about how she's great at everything. Mm-hmm. And she says a line, I never ever I never I never get sick at sea, which I'm pretty sure is a HMS Pinafore joke, which is the deepest, weirdest cut and joke I've ever found in any show ever. Oh, okay. Like the Went last right time there was my a, head. the last time there was a HMS Pinafore joke was when Sideshow Bob, on, on TV that I can ever remember, is Sideshow Bob singing the entirety of it when he's floating down the river with, with Bart in that episode of The Simpsons. And this That's the, like my only reference point for it. Totally. Yeah. I only know it because I performed it in year seven and it was like, <laughs> I have no idea why anyone would write this into a show, but apparently someone really felt like they need to put a HMS Pinafore reference in there. Anyway, I thought that was fa- fascinating. I just like that you're doing the HMS Pinafore in year seven. That's quite lovely. Okay. I was the boatswain or the boatswain. I was, you know, I made I made the lead cast in year seven. Oh, How many year what? sevens get to do that? Two. <laughs> well done. Me and Adelaide. Um, also, this is the last little side note. There's a joke made about how... Oh, fuck. This has made me so laugh so much. Mr. Peanut Butter and uh, Todd bought the rights to the game Tag under advisement <laughs> from um, Vincent uh, Adultman, Adultman, right? Mm. And that how that's the dumbest idea for a movie. L- earlier this year, the movie Tag was fucking released. <laughs> They were um, playing the long game. They knew what was happening. That mm. made me laugh so much. It's like that would that three years ago, presumably when this last season or season two came out, mm. that didn't exist, and now it does. Yeah, fucking hilarious. Oh my god! You, you know what we didn't talk about? What didn't we talk about? Um, the hippopotamus guy who, like, pre me too. Yeah, I I thought about this. I actually mm. didn't talk about it. Because A, I don't think they 
talked about in as good depth as other shows we've talked about recently. Mm, We've done... There's been... It's like, yes, there was another hashtag me too thing and another one that came ahead of time, seemingly. And almost like, once again, we're seeing this pattern of looking at shows from just a few years back. There was this groundswell. People knew stuff was happening. Oh, yeah. It was like waiting for it to come out. Um, But it it didn't go there in great detail or get to a point that I was like... Other shows that we've talked about have done a much better job. Yeah. No, I I agree. But looking at it in the context of the fact that it, you know, came out before all of this Mm -hmm. support for that kind of story and just watching like what happened to Diane and how people and what people thought of her and how she was treated in the media. I was just like watching it from that perspective was like... I mean, like, an accurate depiction and an obvious, I think, depiction of what would actually happen, um, which really makes you go, yeah, no wonder there is a a lot – there was a lot of fear about that stuff. I just thought it was a a really interesting time capsule of what was happening just before um, we had the Me Too movement. Mm. I think I think it's important to to recognise that as well because for some people it feels like it's all just happened at once. Like, the Harvey Weinstein was like – it all just came out of nowhere. And then ever since then, it's just been accusation after accusation after accusation. And mm. the thing I also loved about specifically this story of the hippopotamus guy, I'm going to say Harvey Hippopotamus, not that's his name, but for the sake of like referencing to the real world stuff, the the idea that these were allegations that have been around for a long time. Yeah. Diane didn't make them. She just referenced these things that like, if you Googled this guy, you would know this. Yeah. And how outrage can be propelled out of the past Seemingly out of nowhere, which relates back to the James Gunn stuff that's been happening recently as well in its own way. But also just to the idea that this, the Me Too movement, while it's to some people might feel like it's happening now, has just, Mm. it's been building forever. Yeah, I mean, it's like with the Cosby stuff, it's very similar. It's like it was totally just go to Google and it was it was all there. Yeah. Um, what's the name of the comedian who famously said it on stage? And he's like, he's a fucking rapist, like, which kind of brought it to the forefront um, to a, for a lot of people. Honestly, I um, don't know. No, I don't know who you're talking he, about. He's the guy from um, Broad City, the dentist. Sorry, I, I did Google and it was Hannibal Burris. I think that's how you say his last name. In 2014, he, in a stand-up, called Bill Cosby a rapist. Um, and kind of like, you know, he goes in, um, and he's just like, no, it's not a joke. He's a fucking rapist. Um, so it was, it was, it was all there, but people just, I mean, when I say people, I mean, the media just didn't want to look at it. And so they didn't. And I think that, that, that episode in the context of being pre me to the fact that it talks about that, I think is really interesting. Totally. Definitely. Let's uh, start wrapping this up. Least favourite and favourite episodes. Damask, what was your least favourite episode of season one of BoJack Horseman? Season one, it's episode five, Live Fast, Diane Nguyen. Um, It was boring. (laughs) It was giving a character backstory that was just really basic. She has a family full of jerks. She didn't like her dad. Um, I'm not entirely sure how that deepens my understanding or care for Diane. Um, I think it was just really simplistic. She comes from a bunch of jerks and she ran away. But it's just like, yeah, it's, I I felt, and I also felt like I'd seen something very similar to that before. Um, And that's also the episode where Todd is doing the whole Boreanaz 
house thing, which didn't really make me laugh. Um, nothing made me feel very much. And I think this episode just flatlined for me. What about you? Uh, it's the exact same episode. As soon as you <laughs> okay. said it, so I was just like, Jesus Christ. Here we Christ. go again. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, exactly the same reasons. I thought the Diane family stuff was not compelling or funny and the Todd and Princess Caroline house of David Boreanaz, David Boreanaz joke, I, I did think it was kind of funny, but mainly yeah. just because I think there's not enough David Boreanaz jokes. <laughs> yeah. Um, can I, also, can I just say, I love Alison Brie. I think she's an incredibly talented actress. Oh, yeah. We she didn't can't do an either. Australian accent. <laughs> she just can't do it. It's a very hard accent for Americans to do. She can't do an Australian accent. So, something Maybe we didn't an- talk pardon? about actually mm. was how do we feel about a Vietnamese character being played by a white American woman? Really weird. Don't understand the decision to do that. It is weird. Mm. And I don't understand it either. And I like Diane as a character and I like Alison Brie. But why mm. make her Vietnamese if you're getting Alison Bray to play the character? Like, yeah. Or if she's Vietnamese, why get Alison Bray to do it? It's like, I understand why you'd want Alison Bray. Don't make the character Vietnamese then. Like, it's, yeah. it's a really weird thing. It's like saying, hey, we've got diversity, but... But we don't. Also, but we don't. It was, yeah, it's strange. Very strange. It is odd. And mm. it, it's... And for uh, those people at home sitting home like, well, uh, Will Arnett isn't a horse. I'm like, well, if... Talking horses existed. I would want him to be played by a talking horse. Haven't you seen Mr. Ed? I have, but he's dead now, so. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's not relevant then. Yeah, Um, yeah, no, no. I I think if someone were to make that argument, go fuck yourself. (laughs) My first expression, because you're not taking the argument seriously at all. Um, And it speaks to actually the same thing happened in that one episode of Rick and Morty where Susan Sarandon played mm, the, the doctor. doctor who was, uh, she was Asian-American, whose name I can't remember either. It might have been Wu or something like that. But yeah, and that it's that's a troubling thing to be doing, I think. Funnily enough, Dan Harmon has a podcast um, about with uh, an Asian-American It's called Whiting Wongs. Called Whiting Wongs, which is a... Funny title because it is definitely poking fun at itself and is not by being so obviously racist. Um, but it's they do talk about this sort of stuff, which is interesting. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a it's a that's a troubling thing to have done. I hope it's a mistake that doesn't get made anymore. Don't know why it was made being made five years ago, but anyway. Mm. Um, favorite episode from season one. Favorite episode now. The first time I watched season one, it was episode eight, The Telescope. I remember thinking that it was a game changer and um, brought a bit more nuance to the character of Bojack and his experience. Which one um, is that? Is that the one where he goes to visit Herb? Herb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for me, this time around, having watched it three and a half times, not to brag, um, I'm going to go with episode 11, Downer Ending. Fucking hell, when, So I'm sorry that we have the <laughs> exact same taste. taste. <laughs> it's probably why we're friends. Um, I, I, yeah, tripping out. I love the animation. We see yeah. how fucked up Bojack is, his psyche. And it ends with this line, which I'm just going to straight up read because it's fucking great, in which it's like, do you think it's too late for me? I mean, am I just doomed to be the person that I am, the person in that book? It's not too late for me, is it? It's it's not too late, Diane. I need you to tell me that it's not too late. I need you to tell me that I'm a good person. I know that I can be selfish and narcissistic and self-destructive, but underneath all that, deep down, I'm a good person. And I need you to tell me that I'm good, Diane. Tell me, please, Diane, tell me that I'm good. 
which just kind of like, he's like, fucking hell. Yeah. It's a great episode. It is excellent. And the the animation is, yeah, it's um, it, dramatically the show shifting into gear and the drug trip stuff is insightful and funny and really well animated mm-hmm. and fun. And there's a lot to enjoy in that. And just and- creatively compelling compared to the rest of the season, I think. Go on. Mm. I just love that thanks to Rick and Morty, I now, like, when I see a Cronenberg monster or a Cronenberg <laughs> reference, I was like, oh, Cronenberg. But yeah. <laughs> uh, least favourite episode of season two. All right. Season two for me was episode two, Yesterday Land. Um, I loved the intro of Wanda. I mean, I'm a big fan of Wanda the character and I yeah. really enjoy her with Bojack. But, I mean, Todd building his own Disneyland storyline was just like, it was boring to me. I just didn't care. I didn't care. So, I'm going to go with that one. What about you? That's compelling reason to not like episode two. Certainly, because I was kept, I was trying to think back to all of Todd's storylines to figure out which one I liked the least. Because <laughs> that would go a long <laughs> way to help me decide mm. which one I didn't want. It's funny, I've written actually down, I've written down episode four after the party. Because at the time, it was... I wasn't really. Yeah, no, and I, I don't, I don't do this with any conviction. Thing is, I can't agree with you on episode two because I love Wanda's introduction. It made me laugh so fucking much. Yeah, she's the great. Who stuff made me laugh way too much. And similarly, <laughs> I think there is good stuff in. There's a lot of good stuff actually in episode four in a lot of ways. It's not terrible. I just think it was a little bit sloppy at times. Particularly, actually, I didn't find the Wanda Bojack stuff that compelling in this. This whole like joke. Is that the that she's I love telling. you thing? Oh, oh, sorry, the joke. Yeah. Yeah, I I found really uninsp- uh, not successful at what I was trying to do. I think I, I see what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. This whole idea that like good thing, you know, if you wait long enough, you know, thing good things will happen or whatever. Yeah, I just didn't think it was well executed or well Fair told, enough. and it, and it wasn't even necessarily like I liked what um, I was going to say. Lisa Cusack, Lisa Kudrow <laughs> was. Her performance and all that's good, but even just like the animation choices, it's just, it's so long-winded, it just became like untenable to me. And although I like that the show was starting to shift its format a little bit, Mm. I didn't think separating into like an anthology thing necessarily worked for me either. Okay. But like, uh, in hindsight, I appreciate a lot of what was done groundwork-wise there, Mm. but in the moment, I wasn't necessarily compelled by that episode i found oh, it a little I was, bit yeah, I sloppy think the different format for me was like oh i'm interested what are they doing i i and um, we yeah. have like the heart of um mr peanut butter and diane which was just like that was great moments yeah um the vincent adult man stuff was f- funny the hijinks of that was funny so that was but, funny you know, enough hit miss. for me yeah. it was like it was like that joke was all of a sudden being just like we've been playing it out for a season already yeah. and then it was like it was just teetering on the edge and mm-hmm. it was like oh we've kind of told this joke before it was yeah. i was glad it was like it's a it's an important episode it says a lot about a lot of characters or moves mm. like Princess Carolyn for because it gets her yeah. away from Vincent Adultman, which she yeah. needed to do. And like, again, in hindsight, I think it's an important episode. I don't know. In the moment, yeah. I just felt it was a little bit. Yeah. And again, the, give the, it points the for phones, The phones um, falling in love and then deciding, the female phone, um, deciding that she'd rather die than feel pain <laughs> made me laugh quite a lot but also made me go holy shit what the fuck is happening um yeah no the, i i was i was intrigued that entire episode but okay. i i get i get what you're saying yeah not of the huge amount of conviction that one 
Um, yeah. There's a listen. Put all of Todd's storylines into an episode, and that's my least favorite episode. It has that. <laughs> like if I could just make it like his three episode arc with the um, improv group, that would be it. That'd be my least favorite episode. Right. Yeah. There. Yeah. Favorite episode of season two. Um, surprise, surprise, it's going to be episode 11, Escape Who from LA. I know, shocking for all the reasons that I, you know, spoke about earlier. You know, just that destruction of Bojack's last hope of happiness, that last destruction of the delusion that it's circumstance and not something that is in him. Um, yeah, I, it's, fuck, it's a hard-hitting episode. It's it's full on, but it's it's great and I think necessary for the evolution of the show. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you for all the reasons we talked about already. Um, I, I, when episode ten hit, I thought that was even my favorite episode. That that fight that breaks up him and Wanda is like, oh, that's fantastic. And then episode mm. eleven was like, oh, this is even better. And then episode twelve was like, that was great too. Not quite as good as episode eleven, but pretty good. Um, uh, it breaks out its format, which I loved as well. We talked about how that happened. Love the idea of the tar pitters in LA. It's you. Dark episode, but lifts the show dramatic heights. Love that. And no Todd that episode. Oh, my God. Mm, Couldn't be better. Mm. Um, Do we have any predictions, hopes, or concerns going into next season? I'm intrigued by this Jill Pill situation. I'm intrigued about BoJack going perhaps to New York to do theatre, what that means, what that means for the rest of the characters. But but really, I I don't fucking know. I just hope it goes on with what it's doing at the moment, continues to evolve, which from what I've heard, that's exactly what it does. Yeah, there's a couple I've heard some good things uh, there's one episode in particular who I, I don't know by name or anything, but I know its premise. That sounds really interesting. I'm pretty sure it's season three, maybe season four that I'm looking forward to in a big way. Um, and yeah, like you said, I just feel like it finally hit its stride. It, I love where it got to at the end of this season. If it can just keep going in that direction, I'm going to be a very happy, very happy man. Um, and I want to see... Um, want to see Bojack working at it. It gets easier. Every day gets easier. But you got to do it every day. That's the hard part. That's what I want to see. I want to see that struggle. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. You can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work come from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Our theme song from Jordan Calavis and our bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can find myself, Broderick Gordes, on Twitter at B Gordes, B-G-O-R-D-E-S. I've been mainly campaigning for um, rehiring of James Gunn on there. Mm. Um, Damask, where can people find you? You can find me at MaskyMoo, M-A-S-K-Y-M-O-O on Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. You I can don't find know what I've been doing. Oh, more- I, I dyed my hair red. So on Instagram, I put up a photo of me with red hair and I don't think I've done anything on Twitter. And as Damask's best, biggest fan, my girlfriend said, I didn't think Damask could get any more beautiful, but apparently she can. Um, so she's a big fan of the There is hair. no limit to my beauty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next week, we'll be back to discuss Orange is the New Black Season 6. How are we feeling about this? Um, I've watched a couple episodes already. We're lucky enough to get uh, some early screeners so we could start a bit early on this one. Have you mm. watched any yet? Yeah, I've watched two. Watched two episodes? So have yeah. I. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, it's going to be interesting to watch this. A, we watched the first five seasons back to back to back to back to back. <laughs> Yeah, that was hard. Which, which compelling but exhausting. 
but it's been a very long gap between season five and season six, and it took me a little while to like orientate myself mm-hmm. as yeah, to like where everyone was and what the sort of what the big like narrative threads were with certain relationships and characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, finding an interesting start so far. But looking forward to talking about that. In the meantime, thank you very much for listening. We will see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.